Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Wednesday, the 14th of September, year of our Lord 2022. Day 914 of the emergency. Isn't it amazing that the Inflation Reduction Act and the interest rate increases, neither of them have done anything to tame inflation. And of course, the, the big issue here is that the, uh, in spite of all the dumping of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the big standout issue is price of things like food. Where is the strategic reserve of food? Well, you're going to have to do that yourself. Uh, We're going to take a look at what happened uh, with the results of that, as well as some updates, uh, important news. It's interesting as the FBI continues to roll on in their political persecution, uh, seizing Mike Lindell's phone. uh, And we'll talk about that and what is going on with his election investigation. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Wasn't it nice when we were writing that balloon of inflation? <laughs> it's just so nice. Everything was fine. There were no problems. But eventually, you run out of hot air from politicians. Uh, but uh, with, <laughs> with all this happening, hot air was still in big supply at the White House. Uh, Biden was actually celebrating as the bad news was busting the stock market and everything else. This is what Biden had to say about his inflation reduction as he's holding a party. Up 
This couldn't have happened without every single one of you. And that's in the literal sense in the Senate. Every single one was required because the other team didn't want to play. And yeah. all our distinguished CEOs, act, advocates, adv- activists, <laughs> thank you for joining us. And what a great day. Exactly four weeks ago today, I signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law. Yeah, and it's had an amazing effect, hasn't it? Every single financial analyst at every single bank, as well as the Federal Reserve's analysts and all the rest of them, taken by complete surprise, and he was as well. Uh, patting himself on the back as it busted up to uh, 8.3%. He had James Taylor there to perform, and uh, I, I was wondering you know, why he brought him in. Did he have him do uh, Mexico? <laughs> Another one of the great successes of Biden. And it is a success. The big problem with the Republicans is they're treating this as if it's a failure. It's a plan. It's a plan what's happening. Uh, I guess uh, what he needed by the end of the celebration was uh, James Taylor performing You've Got a Friend (laughs) when you're down and out. Uh, He did perform Fire and Rain, as New York Post points out, a song reportedly about suicide and heroin addiction. Well, I don't know. I... (laughs) Just tried to enjoy the music uh, back in the day. I didn't try to figure out what was behind all the different uh, meanings. I, I kind of figured most of them were intentionally vague and uh, best left that way. But the stock market tumbled. Uh, you had high prices for food and housing and for everything. Uh, Biden forgot to fix the price of electricity and other things like that, um, uh, even though he did his best to fix the price of gasoline and thought he was done no no you had one job (laughs) you thought uh steep 12-month jumps in the cost of food food was up 13 and a half percent electricity was up 15.8 percent nearly 16 percent for electricity nearly 14 percent for food uh rent was up seven percent health insurance up 24 percent what happened to obamacare come on come on man And then the Dow was down by 1,300 points, 4%, in just one day. As uh, Miles Commodore tweeted out, he said the Dow lost uh, 1,276 points, the seventh biggest drop in U.S. history. Now, this is talking about uh, drops in terms of the number of points, which is not really fair. I mean, we do need to adjust it uh, for the inflated uh, price of this stuff, look at it as a percent. Uh, but nevertheless, when we look at the other six times, he says, the other six times were all in 2020 when we shut the country off. And yet the country is supposedly not shut off now. Or is it? Who was it that shut the country off in 2020? Oh, it must have been those bad Democrat governors. It must have been Fauci. No, it was Trump. The buck stops with Trump and the subsidization bucks started with him and kept flowing no matter what the Democrat governors did. So it was Trump who shut the country off in 2020, as I've said many times. He started the dumpster fire, or we should call it the Trumpster fire, I guess. He started the uh, dumpster fire, and um, uh, now we've got uh, Biden pouring our strategic petroleum reserves on the Trump fire, Trump dumpster fire. He says, tell me again, are we celebrating anything at all connected with this economy? Uh, So the worst day since June 2020, that was um, 
That was two and a half months after we were told that we're going to have uh, two weeks to flatten the curve, and we were still locked down. June 2020, boy, that was a dark time in terms of, is the country ever going to wake up? Well, I don't know. A lot of people have woken up, uh, awakened to this, but um, for the most part, uh, we still have a lot of people who are walking in darkness, and we have politicians who are still operating with the superpowers that they declared for themselves. Uh, Fed mouthpiece said, well, you know, we were going to have at least 75 basis points uh, basic interest rate increase next week, at least, uh, three-quarters of a percent. And the odds that it'll be a full percent increase, 100 basis points, uh, the odds that people are giving on that is a 40%, 47% chance that it's going to be 100 basis points increase in the uh, interest rate. Uh, there's still no good news across this report. And the uh, CPI uh, index, and of course, understand that this is not the real inflation rate. Everything that they do in the consumer price index has been rigged and has been rigged since the 1990s. If you go back as uh, Shadow, uh, I think it's Shadow Stats is the website. They go back and they calculate the inflation rate as it used to be calculated until they changed it in the mid-1990s to make it look better. And if you do it by that, uh, we're getting close to 20%. So, you know, there you go. Uh, there's no good news across this report. Uh, 47 out of 50 economists missed this. Uh, it was much higher than they had expected. And uh, they list the different ones. Um, the only one that nailed it was a, a bank, a BMO. Uh, HSBC got close at 8.2%. Bank of America had predicted 8.2%. But most of them were down at 8% or less. Wells Fargo had predicted 7.9%. Uh, Credit Suisse, 7.9%. Morgan Stanley, 7.9%. And they don't like to be surprised. And so when the stock market saw that was, it sounds like a small difference, but it's not. And it indicates that none of this stuff that they're trying is working. As they frantically flip the levers, nothing is happening. We're still headed for that iceberg, and it's grazing down the side of the ship. <laughs> uh, Biden scrambles for damage control after the disastrous inflation report. After the party was over, celebrating how they had whipped inflation now. <laughs> Remember those buttons? Uh, you had uh, Gerald, Ford, Gerald Ford with the uh, whip inflation now, uh, win buttons. Whoa, what a great slogan that was. <laughs> Maybe I should revise that, uh, revive it, and uh, we should put it out on a T-shirt, right? <laughs> Just as a bit of a nostalgia. Clueless politicians. Uh, Biden issued yet another insultingly stupid statement, says <laughs> Zero Hedge. In response to Tuesday's extremely hot CPI numbers that sent the market into turmoil and uh, hiked up rate expectations, this is the 27th straight month of rising inflation. Particularly painful is 11.4% increase in the food index overall. But again, when you go back and you look at uh, these things, there's so many different ways that they can uh, do this. As I was saying, it was uh, 13.5% as uh, other people were calculating it. Uh, they play with these numbers. They cherry pick the numbers. That's why when we look at things like the number of cases and the number of people who died, COVID deaths, they say, okay, 
Did they die from it? Did they die with it? What kind of numbers are you doing with a PCR? We've seen this type of thing being done with unemployment numbers. They manipulate them, of course, as well. Every set of numbers, every metric that you get from the federal government is highly manipulated. It's all propaganda. Even to the extent that if you go back and you look at the unemployment numbers, as heavily as they rig them, it is a given they come out on a quarterly basis. It's a given that as they release these new numbers, they will go back and revise the previous quarter's unemployment numbers to make this quarter look better in terms of a trend. They always do that. When they release the next set of numbers, they change the previous set. So it looks like things are getting better. And so Biden is cherry picking this stuff as well. He looks at, uh, he says, gas prices are down. This is his spend control. Gas prices are down an average of $1.30 a gallon since the beginning of summer. Oh, okay. Well, let's find a spot where I had sent the prices straight through the roof. And um, then we'll let this uh, percolate a little bit as we um, uh, dump massive quantities of the strategic reserve into the market and see what we get. So he goes back to the beginning of the summer. Except that if you look at it year over year, we're still up by 76%, nearly double year over year. So who went back to when it was a bit over uh, $5 a gallon to declare victory? Uh, Biden also claims that real wages went up for a second month in a row, but in fact, they're down for 17 straight months on a year over year basis. So if cherry picking the numbers by cherry picking the spots at which you measure it, if that doesn't work, if massive uh, dumping of our strategic reserves doesn't work, well, then when it comes to something like wages, you can just lie. You know, that's always a good fallback position for politicians. Just lie about it. You don't even have to have any credible basis for what you're doing. And it is lying if you cherry pick these numbers. As uh, Mark Twain, I think it was, said we have uh, lies, damn lies, and statistics. Uh, just four weeks... After bragging about zero inflation, Biden says it will take more time and resolve to bring inflation down, which is why we passed the Inflation Reduction Act to lower the cost of health care, prescription drugs, and energy. Except these are the things that are up the most. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is simply a tax increase to take money away from their enemies after they've given too much money to their friends and uh, done other things to cripple the economy. Uh, healthcare, as I mentioned before, was up 24%. It was the highest category. So they've had Obamacare. They've now had the Inflation Reduction Act. None of this stuff seems to be working, does it? Uh, so 8.3% um, in August, worse than expected, despite falling gas prices. And um, Jerome Powell said they're going to continue with rate hikes until inflation begins to meaningfully recede. Uh, so... We're going to just keep doing the same thing over and over again. We're going to have some booster rates. <laughs> and the booster rates are going to look like the booster shots, I think. Uh, prices are still well above the 2% range of inflation that they are trying to shoot for. Uh, the national average price of gasoline was $3.71 as of Monday, down from a peak of more than $5 in mid-June. And that's why uh, Biden goes back and says, from the peak, we're down $1.30. Uh, but the price of other daily necessities, such as food, rent, many consumer products, uncomfortably high for cash-strapped Americans, including the much-vaunted health care uh, subsidies and Obamacare and the rest of this stuff, 
the um, and then this is uh, Zero Hedge says this may well be the dumbest thing ever to come out of the Biden administration. They said they're going to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve at $80 per barrel. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. They said a day after reported that the Biden administration withdrew a record amount from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to try to dump it on the market to try to give a, a temporary fix, a temporary high for consumers. Oh, look, at least gas is down. It's just manipulated. And they're using up our reserves. We're eating our seed corn, if you will. Uh, plunging to its lowest uh, level, that is the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve, lowest level since 1982. Uh, the Bloomberg reports that according to people familiar with the matter, the U.S. may begin refilling its emergency oil reserve when crude prices fall to around $80 a barrel. Sources said the Biden administration officials are weighing the timing of such a move with an eye towards protecting U.S. oil production growth. It doesn't have anything to do with protecting oil production growth. That's another bullface lie. They don't want any growth in oil production. That's one of the key problems with all of this. Their approach, as I've pointed out over and over again, all these politicians, no, 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 we are not going to increase production of energy. We're going to ration it. Uh, we're not going to increase production of things that we used to generate energy. We're going to ration it. It wasn't that long ago that uh, oil was down around $40 a barrel. I think it was around 2019 or something like that. So we're going to refill it when it gets to 80 because we've pumped it up so high by blocking off leases, by creating sanctions against Russia and all this uh, international chaos and the price of energy. So we've shot it sky high, and once it drops to double of where it was a couple of years ago, we're going to fill up again. <laughs> it may not be a catalyst for $100 crude, but it does offer a buffer to the downside risk that the market is worrying about, said a senior energy trader. And uh, but they said, but, Zero Hedge says, but, as we noted yesterday, this is likely to be a problem for after the midterm. So really, who cares, right? Biden doesn't care. What happens to it? Uh, it'll be the fault of the Republicans in the House at that point in time. Because it appears that that looks um, uh, pretty likely. It also looks pretty likely that nothing is going to happen in the Senate. Uh, so this may well be the dumbest thing ever to come out of this administration, they say, because Biden is fighting inflation by pre-announcing that there is now a hard floor on oil prices. Oh, that, that's going to work on fighting inflation, right? Uh, 
ensuring that they will never drop below that floor and the gasoline surges now that OPEC has all the leverage. So they did a little meme. They have uh, Biden saying, drain the strategic oil reserve. Step number two, take credit for lowering gas prices before the November elections. And then after the election, gas prices to the moon. Sky-high prices are creating new age of energy awareness. I said, uh, following years of green enlightenment decision and people blindly following the ESG agenda from Davos and the UN has led to sky-high energy prices because the renewable energy rollout needs much more time than it's being given. We need to have, uh, just as we look at the warp speed vaccines, every time they come to you, again, this is a classic sign of a scam. you got to do it today. There's no time to think about this. You know, the, we're gonna, this is going to be off the table. Well, when they do it to us from a government standpoint, when the globalists do it, it's like, uh, we're all going to die. Uh, there's not going to be a tomorrow. You're, you're going to have to do this today. And we're not going to look at the consequences. We're not going to look at the technology to see if it works, to see if it makes things even worse, right? Uh, we're not going to do any of that. We don't care what the cost is. We don't care if this works. And certainly they don't care what the cost is because they're the ones who are going to be profiting from it. So blame the Russians. They killed the party. Even though he had James Taylor there, I guess. Equally adept at speaking out of both sides of their mouths, the Europeans must make the choice. Keep pushing oil and gas, as the Biden administration does, or eat out of Putin's oil-stained hands. After all, Mother Russia is looking for Ukrainian capitulation as much as it is for European capitulation. High energy prices is the price we pay for freedom, said an overwhelmed Macron recently. Yeah, you feeling free yet? <laughs> uh, freedom, where nothing is free. Uh, or possibly, he was referring to the price of stupidity. He had ample time to warn of threats to seek alternative sources to build out a better, more secure LNG presence. Maybe if only he had listened. What do you think? Well, I don't know. In Phoenix, it was much worse than the 8.3%. Some of the cities were much higher. Phoenix seemed to be the highest of any of the metropolitan areas that they looked at in detail. Things went up there 13%. So high that overall prices, 13% increase in Phoenix. Uh, that may impact a Democrat Senate race, even if we can't get Mark Kelly out because he is hell-bent on destroying the Second Amendment, he and his wife, Gabby Giffords. Inflation soared to 13% in Phoenix last month, a record for any city and data going back 20 years. And more than twice as high as the numbers that we're seeing in California, like San Francisco and L.A., uh, their numbers were kind of on the low side because they'd already jacked things up, I think, in particular. Other cities across the South and Southwest saw double-digit increases in consumer prices. Atlanta was up 11.7%. Miami, 10.7%. And um, again, in uh, San Francisco, L.A., New York, they're like uh, 5.7 to 7.6%, uh, so quite a bit less than they are in other places. But I think this is one of the most galling things that I've seen out of all this economic data. As we're giving billions of dollars on a weekly basis, here's another $2 billion. Oh, we'll be back next week. Surprise visit. Uh, it's going on and on and on. We've already given more money to Ukraine than the entire 
annual military expenditures of Russia. And there some, seems to be no end to it at all. And yet the Army, the U.S. Army, is suggesting that soldiers and their families get on food stamps. Isn't that disgusting? I mean, what, what else do they have to do to tell us that they, dis, they just despise us? You put your own army on food stamps. Wasn't it Napoleon that said an army travels on its stomach? Well, I guess the American army travels on welfare programs. Uh, we can't afford to help you. We're too busy. We're all tapped out. You know, uh, uh, we got all this stuff we're given Zelensky. Do they worry where the money is coming from for anything that they want to do? No. So they don't really care about this, right? Uh, they don't care about feeding the troops. If they did, they would just print it out of thin air. You know, I went through the uh, long uh, <laughs> uh Pierre uh, Polyver and uh, the new conservative leader elected in uh, Canada. And he'd put up a video where he asked people for this new program that's going to be just a few billion dollars. I mean, nothing compared to what the American government is spending. And he said, so who, where's this money going to come from? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Uh, nobody had an answer. And so he put a soundtrack there with all, and he just let him sit there and stew. And uh, so he put a soundtrack there of uh, Jeopardy on it. But yeah, we are in Jeopardy. Wh where's the money going to come from to feed the troops? Well, uh, we'll just ship it over to uh, this other thing. Make them get in a line uh, to get a handout as if they don't have a job, as if they and their families are not working a dangerous job. Just absolutely disgusting, the contempt that they have for Americans, isn't it? Uh, tell Zelensky to get on food stamps. Tell Zelensky to get in the line. Just amazing. GOP governors, in terms of uh, looking at the cost of this, again, I've said over and over again, everybody's wringing their hands about this student loan plan. Oh, look, it's going to cost an average of $2,000 per American taxpayer. Yeah, of course. Right? Does anybody care about that? Yeah, we're going to give um, you know, $10,000 to all the people they went to college because we think they're going to vote for us. But, you know, the military, we think they'll probably, with all the things we've done to them, they're probably going to vote for anybody but us. So, yeah, don't do anything for them. But they can find all this money for the student loan program. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be inflationary. And so you got Republicans who are talking about this, and you got a list of governors who have come together on this. Uh, it's pretty much every Republican governor. I can't... Uh, Think of one. Yeah, 22 GOP governors. There may be two or three that didn't sign this letter, so I'm not going to list them out there. But, you know, it's all everybody that you would uh, think of. Abbott, DeSantis, uh, DeWine, Christy Nome, all the familiar names that are out there. Uh, Doug Ducey, Kay Ivey, Asa Hutchinson, you know, the uh, rhino Asa Hutchinson. Anyway, they've all signed this. Uh, as governors, we support making higher education more affordable and accessible for students, but we fundamentally oppose your plan to force American taxpayers to pay off the student loan debt of an elite few. So this is how they are rolling this thing out. I mean, if they wanted to stop it, how did they stop it? Well, they'd have to pull out the authority that he has to do this. And what's the authority based on? His Secretary of Education said 
his authority to forgive student loans, to hand out up to $10,000, even more for some of these uh, people who are on Pell Grants. His authority to do that is based on Trump's emergency, COVID emergency executive order. That's how they're doing this. And of course, none of these Republican governors will do anything about that. These Republican governors who signed on to this were feeding at the trough just like Gavin Newsom and Cuomo and Whitmer and uh, Pritzker, all the worst Democrat governors, had a personal line of credit that was many times bigger than uh, what the entire state budget was. As a matter of fact, here's one of those guys, Idaho Governor Brad Little. Yeah. He told the Republican legislature, you can't meet. They were going to take away the executive order that he had. No, no, no. I'm going to shut it down just like he was some kind of a British colonial governor. He suspended the legislature coming in for a special session because they were going to take away his emergency powers that he had given himself. And uh, then he crafted some special legislation to make it worse and then called them into session, and they rubber-stamped it for him because, you know, that's the way partisan parties work. They throw away their principles because they got pals and partners and all of this stuff. And so they don't want to get rid of this authority. First of all, it makes Republicans look bad because they're going along with this thing. All of them, not just Trump, all of them were going along with this. They were all being paid off, just like the hospitals are being paid off throughout 2020, 2021. Uh, they don't want that admission, and they quite like the power that they have. So um, they're not going to do anything about it. As, as a matter of fact, as, it, as we see over and over again, they can not really make anybody really angry by taking away the money that they've just been given in this new entitlement program put out by executive order. So don't pull that money away from them. Uh, but we'll tell our voters we really don't like the fact that that money's being given to them. But they won't do anything about it. They'll campaign on it. They'll talk about how outrageous it is. Just like they talked about how outrageous it was what Hillary Clinton did in Benghazi, but nobody did anything about it. Trey Gowdy used it to become a media figure and then parlayed that into a show on Fox News. But he didn't do anything about it, nothing at all. And they're not going to do anything about this as well. If you want to protect yourself, uh, you're going to have to have your own strategic reserves of food and other things. You're going to have to have a reserve of your own money, especially when they decide that they're going to completely reset the financial system, which they're working on right now. I think they've, they've got all their stuff in. Had it in last week was the deadline, all these different agencies, to look at how they're going to uh, reset the financial system, how they're going to enforce it with law enforcement, uh, the technology that they're going to use. But, you know, the system design, this is what we, what we want. And we want uh, to have these people empower these institutions. So they have their institutional plan, their technological plan, their law enforcement plan, and then the big cherry on top about how it's going to be there to save the environment. And they're going to take away our money. That's what they want to do. They're going to use, they're going to create a system that is going to be complete surveillance of everything you buy and complete control of everything you buy. They will tell you what, when, where, how, and who you can buy from. And the only way that you're going to get out of that is to start to establish local connections start to create a parallel society, start to prepare right now uh, by getting some of your money out of their system. And again, more than inflation, I think that's the important thing. 
in terms of gold and silver, uh, the CBDC stuff. So again, uh, take a look at, at uh, Tony Arterburn's site, wisewolf.gold. You can get there from davidknight.gold. We will be right. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC back. Stay with us. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing. And the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com. Oh, yeah. It looks like meat is back on the menu, even at a vegan restaurant. (laughs) These are desperate times. And uh, they haven't quite turned to cannibalism yet. Uh, But meat is back on the menu at a vegan restaurant in Somerset, England. And the virtue signaling people who, you know, there's people who don't eat meat for health reasons. And then there's people who don't eat meat because, you know, they're better than you are. (laughs) They have uh, moral issues about that. The problem is that most of the people who are vegans because of moral issues are also the people who are cheering on abortion. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but uh, the mango tree in Somerset, England, will reopen with meat on the menu. <laughs> it's back on the menu, boys. And a, and a bid to attract customers. Maybe they'll have some hobbit pie. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> they're reinventing themselves. Including meat on the menu after a brief renovation. Uh, and they said it's because of the prohibitively high cost of doing business. 
Oh, the irony of it. <laughs> all these greenies who said we got to get rid of all the fuel. And now they can't afford the electricity. And so the greenies are now turning back to um, meat. And um, they said it was a purely vegan restaurant. They said they'll be continuing as a purely vegan restaurant. They said has not been sustainable. It's not sustainable. Veganism? Not sustainable? <laughs> How can that be? Uh, I guess the impossible burgers were impossible to make a profit off of. Uh, they said it's a considerable amount of time. Uh, it's not sustainable for a considerable amount of time as not enough customers supported us. Hmm. Uh, is this like uh, give people what they want? Are you going to go out of business? Are we back to that model? You know, that model actually does work. Supply and demand, trying to satisfy customers and provide what they actually want. That works on an individual basis, on a mom and pop basis. That's where you have real competition. It's one of the reasons why uh, that's really the health of a country. It's once you create these massive multinational corporations that can raise money on stock markets, the same as if they were a central bank printing money, and they don't have to worry about what their customers think. I mean, just, just look at this. Here's a vegan restaurant that has to start offering meat because um, otherwise they're going to go out of business. And yet these other companies, whether you're looking at the NFL or NASCAR or you're looking at um, you know, the transportation companies, uh, Coca-Cola, utter contempt for customers, insulting massive numbers of other consultors, uh, customers. We don't, we don't like white people. Those Coca-Cola and uh, the rest of this stuff. So they just shove it in your face because they can get all the money they want. The big guys can by manipulating the stock market and by getting government subsidies and government contracts. And so it's not a, it's not anything that is focused on providing service for anybody. Uh, so the restaurant strove to put a positive spin on the news, reassuring vegan clients that they would still have access to the same stuff they had before. But that's not good enough for these people, right? It's not good enough for them to be able to get all their usual vegan dishes, which, by the way, if this vegan restaurant goes out of business, they won't have access to those vegan dishes anymore. So what they're doing is they're adding something. Their problem is, is that they tried to cater to a group of people who doesn't like for other people to be able to make their choices. And so we got delicious plant-based dishes that would have otherwise disappeared. They even tried to head off potential ethical criticisms by pointing out that, quote, ethics extend to the jobs and the welfare of our wonderful team to whom we owe a great deal and another chance. In other words, you say it's unethical to eat meat? Is it ethical to, for us to go out of business and all these people lose their jobs? No, actually, they're essential. They're not non-essential, as Trump said, as he was killing small, middle-class, Main Street businesses and giving massive subsidies to the big Wall Street companies in 2020. And now this is the second shoe to drop of this pandemic. But the compromise was too much for some vegan patrons. They said, this is worse than shutting down. You're selling meat. <laughs> Another one said the owners couldn't possibly be vegan or they would have chosen to go under rather than to stoop to exploiting animals. They couldn't possibly be vegan uh, or they would, have, they would have died before they'd eat an animal. Uh, veganism isn't a business venture. It's an ethical philosophy that does the best for the animals, the planet, and public health. Oh, is it? Really? 
Uh, well, no, you know, it's kind of interesting that Children's Health Defense Fund, I think, put it in the proper perspective, which I didn't really expect to see. You know, Children's Health Defense Fund can be uh, are, are really good when it comes to this, to vaccines, and especially this pandemic stuff. Uh, they can be kind of off the wall when it comes to some of the environmental issues. Uh, so it's a mixed bag. And I was surprised to see that they actually, whoever wrote this article for them, uh, for Children's Health Defense, it's the Defender. I was really surprised to see they got it spot on. They said um, that uh, there is a fake food race to make trillions of dollars worth of profit. And that's where they put the Beyond Beef stuff and things being done by uh, Gates and others. Uh, you're setting up yourselves to have a monopoly, to have a corporate monopoly. They look at this and they said, all of this stuff that's being pushed to us by Gates and by Davos and by the UN, uh, that's not small independent organic farms. This is big multinational farm uh, conglomerates, agricultural conglomerates, who don't care what they put in the food. I've said this for the longest time. I said, you know, when you look at a big chain, take, take McDonald's, for example, and, uh, or, you know, some of the other ones, uh, there, there's been chains where they, people go in and said, do you see this chemical that they're putting in there? You know, they use that to make rubber mats and things. Why are they doing that? And then you go back and look at it. And it's like, well, this is just to make the stuff real frothy when they're, when they're preparing it. You know, they have these factory things. And so they'll add these chemicals in there to make the machines work properly and stuff like that. And then feed it to you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have some of the lubrication grease and some of the antifreeze as well. No, they're deliberately <laughs> there to make the, the food behave in a certain way or look a certain way. And it can be a toxic chemical and they don't care and they don't have to. And, and I've said, they look at these types of things with a different kind of calculation than an individual business does. If you've got an organic farm, of course, they're very careful about uh, their reputation and the product that they put there, that reflects on them. They have more of a one-to-one -one relationship with people. But if you're a big corporation and you can do something to the food that is going to save you just a couple of pennies per burger or something like that, and you're selling billions of burgers worldwide, uh, that's a lot of money for these people. And uh, they will make these calculations and um, say, uh, yeah, we'll do it. And it doesn't even have to be a lot of money for them to put your health in jeopardy. But, you know, small changes that an individual business would look at this and say, I I'm not going to do that and taint my food and, you know, change the taste and maybe make it unhealthy for a teeny tiny savings like that. I'm going to sell out my reputation for that. Even without an ethical consideration or moral consideration, they'll look at this and make that kind of smart business decision. But for a giant corporation that's selling tens of billions of burgers every year, yeah, they'll, uh, they'll sell you out for something's going to save them uh, a nickel per burger or something like that. That's big profits for them, big profits. So Children's Health Defense Fund says industrial agriculture is a key driver of environmental destruction, of bad health, and yet this destructive cycle is defended in the name of affordable food and the need to feed the masses. Industrial agriculture uses 75% of available farmland, but it only produces 30% of food consumed globally. Yet small, biodiverse farms, you know, like the ones they're trying to shut down in the Netherlands, use 25% of the land 
yet provides 70% of our diet. Isn't that interesting? How inefficient these uh, big corporations are compared to the small farms. The rise of fake meat is an attempt at recreating the same global control of food supply that Monsanto and others achieved through patented GMO seed development. That is a key insight. Let me repeat that again. The same global control of food supply that Monsanto and others achieved through patented GMO seed development is what they're trying to do with fake meat. That is spot on. And we should think about, what did they do with GMO seed development, of course? Well, part of it, and we saw this play out in India to a large degree, but it's, uh, to a, you know, it's a little bit, because the people there were poor, you could see the effect right away. And what they did was they um, uh, gave them uh, the uh, weed treatment. Well, we'll get rid of the weeds, right? And, uh, but it poisons the soil, so nothing will grow except for their GMO seeds. But their GMO seeds are designed not only to be able to grow in that poisoned soil that will now grow nothing else other than their seeds, but they also made it so that their engineered seeds cannot be used to reproduce. And so you, every year, you got to buy the seeds from them. The farmers can't make their own seeds, so now they're hooked. They poison their land so that it only uses the GMO stuff. And they've got to buy it every year from them. And they said, this is the same business model from the same types of people, same types of corporations on this fake meat that we've been fighting on this GMO seed development. In India, they did it. These small farmers <clears throat> realized they couldn't make any money. They became essentially sharecroppers for Monsanto. And Monsanto had them at their mercy because they'd poisoned their land. Couldn't grow anything on it except Monsanto's stuff. And so as they were going out of business, bankrupt, they, had, they saw no financial future for themselves. And a lot of them were committing suicide because of that. Once living animals are eliminated and replaced with patented plant-derived alternatives, private companies will effectively control the food supply in its entirety. And those who control the food control the people. Henry Kissinger, we've been reminded of this many, many times, and this is the plan, and this is why they're doing what they're doing in the Netherlands. They want to control and re they want to get rid of their competition, the smaller but more efficient farmers, so they can have a monopoly. They're all pretty upfront about it, actually. You know, you go back to John D. Rockefeller, he said, Rocco, he said uh, competition is a sin. Or you go to the current hero of the conservative movement, uh, Peter Thiel, because he gives them so much money, he's their hero. And he says, um, uh, competition is for losers. And uh, so whether you want to say, you know, because he doesn't care about sin anymore, you know. Um, <laughs> that was the uh, world in which John D. Rockefeller was there. Now, we don't have any, we're not concerned about any ethics or anything or any morality anymore. No, it's just about winning and losing. And so, you know, you have competition, you're a loser. So we want to have monopolies, right? Everything they do is about getting monopolies. And um, they also want to control not only production of food, as I pointed out, and you can see it all in the Netherlands, the same people as they're shutting this down, saying we've got to protect everybody from nitrogen. You know, let's, let's pick the two most common things, CO2 and nitrogen, and say they have to be eliminated. And 
you'll have to buy my product because if we don't eliminate the two most common things on earth, we're all going to die. Just like they picked for their fake pandemic, they picked uh, respiratory illness, you know, colds and flus and things like that. We got to eliminate all that stuff with my product and only with my product. And, um, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. So um, <clears throat> these, uh, they're, they're not intent on just controlling all food production. They want to control food distribution. You see this as well in the Netherlands, the Minister for Nitrogen Control. They actually have such a thing. Uh, is married to into the family that has uh, the biggest grocery store chain. And that grocery store chain has partnered with Bill Gates' picnic, you know, uh, to distribute the food. So they're going to control the uh, food production and the food distribution. And it is the same model that we have seen with GMO seeds. A Dutch city, as a matter of fact, is the first one to ban any advertisements for meat. Uh, so <clears throat> that vegan restaurant in uh, the UK could not even tell anybody, Hey, we're going to add some meat to them. I can't say that. Uh, it's the Dutch city of Harlem, Harlem. Uh, not, you know, the one that, uh, they named it after in uh, New York, uh, the city of 160,000 people near Amsterdam has agreed to outlaw ads for intensively farmed meat on public places like buses, shelters, and screens beginning in 2024. It's a full-on press in um, the Netherlands. And again, uh, their Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, one of the bright and shining puppets of Klaus Schwab, just like Justin Trudeau. And they have made them a food, the, the, the key coordinating center for food distribution. You know, the Davos has got its own plan for how they're going to control food distribution. And they're rolling it out and doing the model plan under Mark Rutte, prime minister or president. I think he's a prime minister uh, in the Netherlands so that he can get uh, all the credit for it after they roll this thing out. Uh, it'll be the first city in the Netherlands and, in fact, Europe and indeed the world to ban meat ads in public places. And uh, the Green Party is very happy about that in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, meanwhile, because of Dutch farmer protests, the agricultural minister there has resigned after a standoff. He said, uh, I believe that I'm not the right person to carry out the high stakes negotiations between the government and the nation's farmers. Yeah, we're going to need uh, somebody who's more Hitlerian or something, I guess. Uh, the Antwerp mayor in Belgium uh, has blasted Green dogmatics. Here's somebody on the other side, finally. Uh, so in Belgium, in Antwerp, the mayor says uh, these uh, people who are dogmatic about these greens who are dogmatic about this, it's a religion, right? Dogma is a religion. Uh, he says um, that uh, it's bankrupting the country, the entire country of Belgium. And he says Belgium is becoming the new Greece. Greece, famous for its profligate spending and its fiscal insanity. He said, um, uh, the American people are not in this excrement, he said. Uh, they're now exporters of oil and gas, but they certainly weren't 20 years ago. Climate standards are not of much use. If all your companies go to America and China to Bruce, then you are bankrupt and the climate is not saved. This is green dogmatics. People should start realizing this. Well, he should realize that all of that changed with uh, Biden. Uh, Biden wanted to make sure that we were not even self-sufficient, let alone exporting energy. 
He says um, it's a purple-green law. We now have a purple-green government, and that is a recipe for catastrophe. He says it's time for the bitter truth. This country is bankrupt. And again, as I've mentioned many times, you know, if you look at uh, satellite record as opposed to uh, thermometers that are stuck on places like airport tarmacs, they actually do that. That's not an exaggeration. Uh, that's how they you know, cherry pick their data in the same way that Biden cherry picks his economic data. Uh, you can get, uh, depending on where you put the thermometer, you can control that. And as the founder of the Weather Channel said, I can't believe that they're telling us that everybody's going to die if we go up by one degree or two degrees. He goes, all of our reference data, all the records that we have of temperature, even if you were doing it in the same place, which they aren't, they're using heat islands in urban areas. Again, places like the um, uh, airport tarmac, but an urban area is always going to be hotter uh, than a forested area. But, um, and, and we used to see that on a regular basis. I've talked about that many times. We'd, not even a big city like Raleigh, North Carolina. We'd be in there. We'd look at the, therm- the, uh, the temperature in the car. And then by the time we would drive 20, 30 minutes out of town where we lived, and we lived in a forest, it was always, didn't matter what time of year it was, summer, winter, always about four degrees cl- cooler out there. So where you put it makes a big difference. And um, uh, they're playing games with that. But even the thermometers, as the guy who founded the Weather Channel said, when we used to do these temperature readings, you know, we we're using the mercury thermometers with mercury in the glass, and it goes, you get this parallax view, because you can't get this stuff down accurately to one degree, and they're talking about, oh, is it going to go up a half a degree or this or that? Because it's absolute nonsense. It absolutely is. I mean, this is a generation that has grown up with uh, computers and with digital calculators. When I went to college in engineering. Uh, they had just moved away from slide rules, and they were using calculators. And they still had in some of the classes, uh, they still had a giant slide rule up there the teacher would have used <laughs> to, to show people how to do calculations. They would do calculations to three significant digits. And they would mock people who would come in with their calculator and say, hey, you, know, you divide this stuff out, and you get an answer to uh, 10 decimal places or something. Are you, do you understand what you're seeing here? Now, forget what you're looking at on this display. Forget about your computer printout from your, your computer model, okay? Try to bring this back and put this in the context of reality. Understand, uh, you are making an approximation here. And when you give me an answer like that, I'm going to flunk you, said some of my professors. So they kind of drilled that in. These people still do that kind of stuff with a temperature, right? They're looking at this, well, it went up by a tenth of a degree. Get real. It came to light recently that a specialist data set that was designed to remove all urban heat distortions uh, was compiled by the American Weather Service, uh, NOAA, N-O-A-A. The U.S. Climate Reference Network, that's a thing, uh, shows little evidence of a warming trend between 2005 and 2022. And when NOAA set up 114 station projects in 2005, It noted that what it was aiming for was, quote, superior accuracy and continuity in places that land use will not likely impact during the next five decades. So in other words, let's go somewhere uh, outside of town where the environment's not going to be changing, 
you know, where you're not going to go from a situation where, well, this was, even if it's in a city, this was in the shade of a big building. Uh, and maybe it was even under a tree or something where we were doing it. Now they cut down the tree and they took down the building. And now this thing is sitting there on concrete and sunlight all the time. Uh, so let's find some places, 114 places, where we don't think that anything is going to change for about five decades. Because the surroundings change uh, your reading. But perhaps unsurprisingly, Noah never mentions this in any of their monthly or yearly public climate reports these days. So they set it up, and now they don't want to talk about it. A green energy transition could be derailed by looming copper shortages. Again, every one of these things, if this was an organically market-driven thing, then the speed of which uh, these technologies would be adopted, if it was market-driven, would be based on all these things coming together, just like iPencil. And if there was a bottleneck, if there was one thing that was, if everything else was coming together well and there was one thing that was sticking out, like they couldn't get copper, they couldn't get lithium, then that would be a flag for the market to go out and find out how to make that, how to find that or how to make it uh, less expensive, more plentiful, that type of thing. And uh, if you couldn't solve those problems, then that, was, that would not be a technology that you would not go down that path. But we're going to be directed by a bunch of self-serving, criminal, corrupt, bribed politicians who are trying to put us into a 21st century serfdom. That's the problem with this. And so I said, the reality is that solar planes and wind turbines and energy transmission infrastructure, batteries for energy storage, motors for your electric car and electric bicycles, all those rely on metals that are not infinitely sourceable. And um, so uh, the, the problem is that we are being rapidly pushed into this not given enough time to deploy the infrastructure that needs to be there for this radical restructuring of everything that they propose. And that's all by design. Because, folks, they don't want you to have this society that they've designed. They've designed this society to be impossible to achieve in this period of time. You know, you're not going to have a, a grid that's going to be able to support all these electric cars, even if they weren't shutting down power plants left and right, even if they weren't cutting off our fuel. It wouldn't be there. So they're designed, setting us up to, to fail. California Energy Commission member, for example, says we should triple down on renewables. However, we're going to need to also have programs to shut off all the appliances and turn off the AC. So that's what it's designed for. We're going to continue to go down this path, even though we're going to have to turn off the appliances. We're going to make you buy appliances that are electric and electric only. And then we're going to have them with cutoffs because we know we don't have the power to supply that. Uh, so uh, one person, John Dickerson, says, so, so what does it mean? What then are we supposed to conclude is that the move to renewables is great and that it worked. But if we're in a climate change environment here where we're talking about 52,000 megawatts, then Maybe renewables are great, but fossil fuels are going to have to still be a big part of the mix, aren't they? As he's interviewing uh, Siva Gunda, Siva Gunda, a public member of the California Energy Commission. This is on CBS primetime. So the reporter is asking this guy, and he's saying, well, okay, you're telling me now that, you know, we are 7,000 megawatts in the, in the red? You know, we, we got demand that is 7,000 megawatts higher than what we can produce. And that's a pretty significant uh, number. 
because the base load there is uh, 45,000 megawatts. Let's just call it gigawatts, Marty, or as uh, Doc says, gigawatts. Uh, so they're talking about 45 gigawatts, but they have a demand that they can produce, but they have a demand of 7,000 gigawatts. Okay, so, you know, that that's about a 17% shortfall or something, right? And uh, so that's pretty significant. So he says, uh, so what are we going to do? Uh, we're going to have to keep fossil fuels as part of this mix because you've got like a you know, 17% deficit here. And he says, uh, well, uh, or is it possible through renewables, which might be more easy to access in these crisis moments, that that's the future strategy for what looks like a challenge that's going to come back again and again? And so Siva Gunda says, well, I think we are, first of all, going to have to acknowledge that we're experiencing a new normal. How many times are we going to hear this? And the problem right now is really what we call the net peak problem. Or when solar really goes down and you still have a substantial load being carried because of air conditioning. In other words, the sun's not shining, but it's still hot. Uh, so really, it's about deploying a large amount of storage very quickly to balance the load of the solar, but they don't have the technology to do that. Anyway, he says, and as the wind comes up, along with offshore wind, you really have to balance that part along with the storage. So he just waves his hand, said, we'll have to do it with storage. But he doesn't have any way to do it with storage. He doesn't have any technology sitting on the shelf that he can even buy if he wants to throw massive amounts of money at it. They don't have the tech. And so Dick Dickerson, the reporter, says, uh, and those load reduction programs, they're not just sending out texts to people not to turn on the lights or to turn them off, but they're automatic systems that, given a signal, will lower the air conditioning, stop the washing machine, and do it automatically. Is that what you're essentially talking about? And he says, yes. You're absolutely right. So we're going to have to continue to deploy this and at the same time restrict people's use of it, uh, which is what we're seeing as they continue to push everybody into battery-operated cars that are charged off the grid, but then tell them, sorry, you can't, uh, even now, even now, you can't do it. But we're going to um, we're going to push ahead with this and with that exclusively. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. We'll talk about uh, some breaking News, what happened to Mike Lindell? And uh, I think maybe these guys ought to stop talking about the election. And maybe they ought to start, you know, stop talking about Dominion voting machines. And maybe they ought to start talking about the Dominion of the FBI. Do you think? We'll be right back. David Knight Show. I want to say uh, thank you to Alan Terry. Thank you for the tip, Alan. I appreciate that um, on, on Rockfin. Uh, last night, late, uh, late for me anyway, it broke that um, Mike Lindell had been surrounded, questioned by the FBI, and had his cell phone confiscated. This was part of an interview they did last night with Brandon Howes. 
And um, <laughs> he was on a hunting trip with some friends. And um, <clears throat> when they were returning, uh, they were up in Minnesota when they were returning, uh, Lindell and his hunting buddy pulled through a Hardee's drive through to make an order. He pulled ahead, gave his order, and then a car zoomed in front of him to block his exit. And another car pulled up and pinned him to the right, uh, on the right-hand side, and the wall of the restaurant was to the left. So they were trapped. He said the cars were different model cars that were driven by undercover agents. So he opened his door and he said, who are you? And he knew uh, pretty much. He demanded to see their badges. He said, I said, what do you want? And they said, we need to talk to you. And they showed more badges. We start talking and they're asking questions about Colorado. And I said, are you going to arrest me? Because this will make international news. And he asked, uh, could you please arrest me? Because if you've been watching my show, I've been wanting you to arrest me so I can show you all the evidence that I have about election fraud. And they said, no, we just want your phone. And so he's not willing to give up his phone. He calls his lawyer, though, and they said, we've got a warrant for your phone. And so the lawyer said, well, if they got a warrant for your phone, you've got to give it to him. Uh, he said... Um, uh, the problem that he has is that he does all of it. He says, I don't you even own a computer. He says, I do all my business on the phone. He said, uh, this is my life. My business runs off of this phone. He says, I can't believe that they can just come in and take somebody's phone because they want me to be a witness in a case, he thinks, against uh, Tina Peters. And... Um, he said they wouldn't even let him make a backup copy of it. So they basically shut down his ability to do business. Took his, uh, uh, presumably, if he doesn't have a computer, he doesn't have any access to any, any of his contacts and things like that. Uh, anyway, he said uh, FBI agents started asking him questions about former Mesa County, Colorado elections supervisor, supervisor Tina Peters and Dr. Douglas Frank, a statistician and inventor featured in one of Lindell's films absolute interference. He said the agents acted friendly, but they said, uh, we're just doing our job. I'm just following the orders, right? The Nuremberg thing, right? <laughs> Maybe you're in the wrong job. Maybe you're doing the wrong job. I've heard this so many times. It makes me sick. I even had, I, I've talked many times about my friend who, uh, from high school, one of my closest friends in high school went to West Point and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, they took all the rebellion out of him. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he had a, he and his wife had a business in later years and, um, uh, the IRS was doing some crazy stuff to them. They, they weren't doing anything wrong or illegal, but they were being harassed and you know, audited and all the rest of this stuff. And I said, so do you agree with me about the IRS now? <laughs> and he said, they're just doing their job. <laughs> it's like I said, they're doing the wrong job. You know, they took an oath to the constitution. Does that matter? Everybody's got to take an oath to the Constitution if you work for the government, right? I said, does it, does it matter that they're doing the wrong job? <laughs> so, yeah, the Nuremberg defense. Uh, so he said, uh, they said, we're just doing our job. And so Mike Lindell says, oh, I said, oh, yeah. Well, why don't you come and bash my door down like you did Sharona Bishops in Colorado? He said the agents told him then that Bishop who was raided by the FBI while she was homeschooling her children one morning in November 2021, didn't answer her door fast enough. That was her problem. She didn't answer the door fast enough. 
They reportedly waited less than a minute after they knocked before they broke down her door, scared her children half to death, seized the computer communications that are also related to the Tina Peters investigation. So they had a warrant for his phone. They took his phone. They took his ability to do uh, business and that type of thing. He said the whole event lasted maybe 15 minutes. Uh, but he said, they're going to look inside the phone. Well, actually, that's not his comment. That was a comment. Uh, it was uh, an interview with Brandon House and uh, this write-up about the interview, which I did not see, uh, was done by Leo Homan. Now, Leo Homan says the judges won't let us see inside the public voting machines, even though they'll take his cell phone. Maybe what we need to do is see inside what is really going on with all this stuff. The problem with Mike Lindell, the problem with all the people that are the conservative MAGA supporters of President Trump, uh, the problem with all of them is that they can't see the forest for the Trump. <laughs> for the Trumps, I guess we should say. So the trees, right? Uh, maybe they, they can't see the forest for the stump. The stump of what's already been cut down. <laughs> but the bottom line is, this is not about the voting machines anymore. Can these guys understand what kind of a country we live in? They're looking at this, and they don't understand the history of the FBI. They don't understand the history of the federal government. These people are totally clueless newbies coming into this political stuff. And they better get up to speed. It's about time. They've been doing this for a couple of years. It's what I saw with a lot of these doctors who looked at this. This is not a medical pandemic that's been going on over the last couple of years. It's a political pandemic. And for those of us who are looking at the political side of it, for those of us who are looking at what the big pharmaceutical companies were doing in collusion with the FDA and the CDC for years, it was a pretty obvious what was running. It was the same pattern over and over again. Well, guess what? We're seeing the same pattern running over and over again with the FBI. Just different people involved. And these people think that this is about nothing other than their little issue about the Dominion voting machines or whatever. They think it's about Trump, and they think it's about the voting machines. It's not about that. This is just where this out-of-control, cancerous government is now focusing, and, and it's, it's just one of many things that they don't want people talking about. And so for the first time they got involved in politics, guess what? They got involved in politics on an issue on the other side of this Game of Thrones, and they don't realize what this corrupt situation is about. And so they're looking at this and think, well, this is all about me and it's all about Trump and it's all about the Dominion voting machines. No, it's not. You can't see the big picture here. That's the thing that's really sad about all this stuff. Can't see the big picture. Uh, so uh, there's, it's not just that. Americans haven't got a clue as to how the government, because they don't care. They don't know how the government works. They don't even know how it's supposed to work. <laughs> you know, I talk about the Constitution all the time, and I, we used to have people always, it's a regular thing, I get people right, stop wasting your time talking about the Constitution. We're not under the Constitution now. We haven't been under the Constitution for a long time. It's like, I know that. I know that. I, I will tell people, I said, this is what the Constitution says, and this is what these people are doing. They're completely ignoring the Constitution. I do that because I think the Constitution is a good design, and we need to get back to it. Uh, the constitutional government needs to be restored. So if we're going to restore the Constitution, we've got to know what it is. And we've got to know why it's better than what we've got. But we also need to understand these people who have thrown out the Constitution have at the same time 
thrown out their authority. And they're now operating under color of law because they are now unfaithful stewards to the king. Lex Rex, the law is king. And these people who broke their oath to obey the king, the constitution, now do not have legitimate authority. And so it's important for us to understand that because good people want to obey the law. And so they don't want to push back against the FBI or these other things that are happening. And you got to understand the FBI is a lawless bureaucracy, a lawless, self-serving political bureaucracy, just like the IRS, just like the FEC, just like the FCC, uh, the rest, the whole alphabet agencies here. But people don't even understand the basics about how the Constitution is supposed to work because they don't care. Here's an example. Fewer than half of Americans can name all three branches of the government, a survey finds. Uh, I wonder if the congressman can name the three branches of government because the congressmen have long ago turned over legislative capacities to the bureaucracy. I mean, I could come in here and say, well, if you really want to know how it works, uh, we have a rump legislature that has abdicated its, uh, its duty as well as its powers to a permanently entrenched, politicized federal bureaucracy. We now have taxation without representation. We have regulation without representation. We have moves made against us where there is no presumption of innocence and no protection against excessive fines because they say, well, um, we don't have to find you guilty of something. This is regulatory law. And so this is a civil offense. It's not a criminal offense. And so you don't get a presumption of innocence and you don't get any protection against excessive punishments. And by the way, this isn't a fine. It's a penalty. So there. I mean, that's the kind of games they play with you. But you have to know what the real thing is. It's just like uh, spotting a counterfeit bill, right? How did they, back in the days when they weren't re-upping the funny paper money every few months uh, for years, uh, paper money was a fixed thing. It didn't change. And when they started changing, a lot of people got very concerned that they're getting ready to completely reset the financial system. They're doing that now, but it's going to be digital. But, you know, they started changing it rapidly to avoid um, counterfeiting. But uh, prior to that, they'd left, as we all know, the design of dollar bills stagnant for many, many decades. And the way that they would train people to spot a counterfeit was not to show them all the different counterfeits, they would show them the real thing. And if they understood what the real thing looked like, felt like, they'd be able to spot a counterfeit just like that. The counterfeits were always going to be changing. So you need to know what the real standard is. That's why you need to know what the Constitution is. Because if you know what the Constitution is, then you spot these phony things all, all the time. Uh, but do they understand? Do these people that they talk to, fewer than half Americans can name all three branches, do they understand that we're being ruled by a bureaucracy? Do they understand that we're being ruled by executive orders? Uh, that's the reality of where we are now. Uh, so this report says about a quarter of Americans surveyed could not name a single branch of government. <laughs> Yet they're voting. Uh, perhaps, I don't know. Maybe they're just sitting home watching football or something. The survey also found a decline in the number of respondents who could name any of the five freedoms guaranteed under the First Amendment. Around 26% of respondents could not name any First Amendment freedoms. What's an amendment? 
<laughs> like Gary Johnson. What's Aleppo? I don't know what Aleppo is. Uh, so this is a, the Edinburgh Public Policy Center's annual Constitution Day Civics Survey. They said they found a significant drop in the percentages of Americans who could name all three branches of government. Uh, of course, you know, it's executive, legislative, judicial. They found that fell by nine points from just the previous year, right? But I wonder how many genders they can name. You know, I, they just overwhelmed their mind with all these different genders. And they don't even know what the three branches of government are, perhaps. Uh, freedom of religion was named by only 24% of those surveyed. So here's how this thing goes. In 2021, just a year ago, when they asked them about the First Amendment, you had 56% of the people could name freedom of religion, as they put it, or the free exercise of religion, more precisely. So 56% of people said religious freedom. A year later, this year, it fell from 56 to 24%. Wow. Uh, a year ago, people, you'd had 50% of the people could name freedom of the press. That's dropped from 50% last year to only 20% can name that this year. Uh, it is truly an idiocracy. The way they take everything from us is to make us, to deliberately dumb us down, to make us idiots who know nothing. Except, uh, you know, these made-up genders and things like that, and the fact that, uh, and this racist, hateful, uh, Marxist narrative of CRT. Uh, that was what um, uh, deliberately dumbing us down was all about. Charlotte Isby, who went to, she thought, under Reagan, she thought he was going to shut down the Department of Education, so she went there to help do that. Instead, he grew it. And so she got out of it and wrote that book. It's about the deliberate dumbing down of America. And here we are, 40 years later, a couple of generations, and look at where we are. Uh, they said respondents did exhibit significant knowledge in some areas, including some aspects of firearm ownership and of search and seizure laws. More than 80% knew the Supreme Court upheld citizens' rights to own a gun, while around 78% know the Bill of Rights protects Americans from illegal searches and seizures. Well, that's kind of interesting because when I talked to Megan Kelly, she didn't know anything about that. <laughs> uh, she came to uh, do a hit piece on Alex. She interviewed all of us. And, and when she interviewed me, uh, yeah, I was saying, well, yeah, I'm not a big Trump supporter. I can take him or leave him. I said, I'll support him when he does the right thing, but he doesn't have any clue about civil asset forfeiture. He doesn't have any clue about this and that. And when I mentioned civil asset forfeiture, she said, what's that? I was like, what? She's a lawyer. She's a you know, political analyst making $20, $30 million a year at Fox, and she doesn't know what civil asset forfeiture is. I mean, even these people who don't know the branches of government are. Uh, know what civil asset forfeiture is, probably because they've had stuff stolen from them uh, <laughs> because uh, they're not wealthy individuals. They target the poor people when they steal stuff like that. You know, in Chicago, the average price of the cars they confiscate under civil asset forfeiture is just under $1,000 because you have to pay $1,000 in order to take it to court and try to prove that you're innocent. They don't have to prove you're guilty of anything. They don't even have to charge you with anything. They can take your property, but then you got to prove to them that you're innocent. Where did that start? Well, with the IRS, we have to prove. They say, well, we say that you've got income. Prove that you don't, you know, that type of thing. So the IRS has been uh, unmasked 
says uh, John Solomon in his Just the News. He said, away from politics, America's tax agency has a lot of warts and a lot of ammunition. He says, the IRS has disproportionately audited poor Americans in recent years. Again, a predatory government that focuses on poor people just as they do with civil asset forfeiture. Uh, they do the same thing with audits. An analysis by Syracuse University's Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse found that low-income wage earners with less than $25,000 in total earnings were audited at a rate five times higher than everyone else. The reason? The IRS has put a big emphasis on auditing beneficiaries of the Earned Income Tax Credit. Well, that's the reason that they give, and that may be a part of it. That may be one of the things that they figure out, well, we can, we can put this thing in there. We'll tell them, hey, if you're poor, we're going to give you some tax credits. We're going to help you because, you know, we're compassionate. We're the government. We're here to help you. And then they go in and they use this thing. If you don't do it exactly right, they said, you know what we found out? They don't understand how to fill out the paperwork for this thing. And they're doing the taxes themselves. And uh, they're going to be easy marks. Let's go in and get them. And that's what they're doing. That's really it. They're, they're taking advantage of people who don't make much money, just like they do with the forfeiture of cars. Earned income tax credit recipients were audited at twice the rate of taxpayers with incomes between $200,000 and $500,000. Only millionaires had a higher audit rate, the news organization found. And um, so again, um, uh, for the people who were making uh, less, so if people who are getting the earned income tax credit, they're getting audited at twice the rate of people who are making between 200000 and 500000 But when you look at it by uh, everybody else, people making, and forget about the earned income tax credit, you just look at people making under $25,000 whether they're taking that earned income tax credit or not. They make under 25000 They get audited at five times higher. That's why I say this is a little bit misleading because it's really not focusing so much on coming after them because they don't understand a technicality in a program that was supposedly going to help them. Because they're coming after the people with a lower rate of income at a much higher rate. You know, It's only twice as much as the wealthy people if they use the earned income tax credit. But if you just look at it by income level, it's five times as much for the people under 25000 Audits disproportionately affected people making less than 200000 You know, when I look at all this stuff, we talk about things like uh, Drag Queen Storytime Hour and what they're doing to kids in schools and everything. That is an abomination. It's an abomination to any society to do that kind of stuff to your kids. But it's also an abomination to God to take advantage of poor people, which is what this, the IRS is doing, what our government is doing. Corrupt, dishonest judges and this type of stuff. So as Christians, why are we not speaking out against this? You know, I'm not uh, one of these people on the left who says, well, as a Christian, I have to make sure I get welfare for everybody. I don't, I'm not a social gospel guy. Yeah, my gospel is that I stand condemned before God, except for Christ, who paid the penalty for me. That's my gospel. I'm not going to save myself by helping the poor. But understand that God hates it when we don't do that. And there are consequences for us in this life as well as the next life, even if we are saved, if we do this type of thing. 
What we do, what we don't do. Sins of omission, sins of commission. Why do we not care as Christians for the poor? You see, we're not the Christian church anymore, collectively. When you look at the Christian church <clears throat> that, uh, that was underground, that was persecuted, uh, the first century and, and beyond, uh, these were people who put everything on the line. Uh, they didn't, you know, uh, as I said, when we were locked all the churches down, you know, they said, well, you go to church, you might get sick. <laughs> I said, well, in the first century, if you went to church, you'd get your head cut off. What's the problem here? You know, you were certain that something was going to happen to you then, right? So where, where's our integrity? Where's our, do we really believe any of this stuff? Do we put it into practice? We're not going to be saved by our works, but you show your faith and who is your Lord by your works. So the audits of the wealthy have been declining. The audits of the poor have been increasing. And so Biden is going to put out an army of 87,000 people. I wonder who they will audit. <laughs> uh, the most audited county, according to the study, was Humphreys County in Mississippi with a median income of $26,000. What does that mean? That means half the people in that county made less than 26000 it's not the average. You know, the average gets, they talk about median incomes because if you've got somebody that makes a, you know, <clears throat> this is a poor county and they've got an heiress of the Walmart Foundation or something, right? Uh, then that's going to skew the average up, but it's not going to skew the median. Uh, so median income is 26000 Half the people make less than that. Uh, they found uh, that those people were audited at a rate that was 51% higher than Loudoun County, Virginia, the wealthy Washington, D.C. suburb where the median annual income is 130000 So they get audited at a rate of 51% higher where the median uh, income is 26000 versus 130000 And so... Um, <clears throat> Not surprisingly, as John Solomon says, nonpartisan analysis says, well, you know, it's these new, this new push to squeeze money out of people that is really what this $80 billion is about. You know, it's to fund officers who are going to harass our people and eat out their substance. That's what it's about. Remember that from the Declaration of Independence? Uh, that massive funding of, you know, it's just the increase. It's going to be six times, sorry, seven times, I think. Uh, seven times what their current budget is of uh, $12, $12 billion. Uh, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act that they're now calling the Climate Bill is also going to raise taxes on the middle-class families. Uh, unlike most Americans, the IRS employees have been working predominantly from home as well. 53% of employees are full-time telework capacity within the IRS. How does that compare to the rest of the country? Well, the rest of the country, only 7.7% of people work from home. IRS customer service has been declining. <laughs> it was rated horrendous. Uh, this is nothing new. Uh, this is <laughs> an age-old story that never changes. IRS employees, you know, they won't give you any information. And if they do, they say, well, you know, you can't trust it. And if you rely on the information we give you, uh, we'll lock you up. How about that? Uh, so, uh the IRS reported uh, 21 million taxpayer returns are backlogged up from more than a million a year earlier. You know, I would do my own returns and I would write them out by hand. And, and that 
<laughs> was another thing that nearly uh, killed our loan situation because I couldn't get it approved from the, it's like backlogged, you know, like years. If, if you do it by hand, uh, instead of e-filing it, uh, it gets backlogged. And so we had to go through and uh, you know, get an accountant to e-file it so we could get it verified by the bank because it's still sitting there. Anyway, IRS employees have egregiously leaked or failed to protect the privacy of taxpayers. Uh, they've had massive uh, leaks. Uh, some of these were done by leaks of Jeff Bezos information and Warren Buffett. They said, you know, that's a felony, and yet they haven't done anything to even investigate that. Uh, you know, I don't really, there's no law of lost uh, with me for uh, Bezos or <laughs> Warren Buffett, but, you know, the law is the law. That's a key thing. Uh, so, um, you know, when we, uh, when we look at this, uh, that is still the issue, uh, that, uh, we need to focus on. Um, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to continue with headline news. And, um, uh, we also are going to take a look at some of the actions that are being taken against Patriots. Yeah. That's uh, really what we're talking about with uh, Mike Lindell. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Listening to the David Knight Show. You know, we have a Border Patrol has uh, just busted a major attempted crime. We may have more than 2 million people arrested alone, not counting all the people that didn't get arrested that came over the border. But um, the Border Patrol was able to stop a woman who was trying to smuggle in 50 wheels of undeclared cheese. Yes, cheese, Gromit. <laughs> I don't care what has happened at the border, but if you try to smuggle in cheese without declaring it, uh, boy, they're all over you. Um, this is a U.S. citizen from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they found that she had in her car 50 wheels of undeclared cheese. They don't even say what it was. Uh, she, it was in the trunk of the vehicle. So they gave her a $1,000 fine, and they did an article about it as a warning to other people. And, um, again, there'll be no, uh, no protection from an excessive fine. Do you think a thousand dollar fine for having uh, too much cheese in your car? They believed that she was actually trafficking cheese because of the quantity. You know, yeah, you can bring a little of this stuff in here, you know, for your own use, but Hey, you got 50 wheels of it. You're probably, they said, uh, going to be, uh, engaging in commerce with this. And uh, you're going to be going into competition with some of our our bigger corporations that uh, want to make sure they, that we don't let that happen. But with all that happening, with them focusing on 
the lady with the cheese. What is it like for the people who live on the border? This is a story from uh, Epic Times. Life for border ranchers. They're assaulted. Their dogs are beaten. Their fences are destroyed. Their families are finding dead bodies. And this is not anything new. This has been going on for quite some time. They point out having their livelihood crushed by the volume of illegal immigrants that are trampling through their properties, assaulting and threatening them, beating their dogs, cutting their fences, destroying water lines, and breaking into their homes. One rancher said, how am I supposed to explain to a young child what a dead body is doing out here on our property, rotting, just laying there? Uh, he is a rancher and a wildlife biologist. Uh, he was speaking, and they have several of these people. The reason this article was done, they had several of these people go in and speak to the tenant, uh, Texas Senate Committee on Border Security. He said, my kids shouldn't have to see that, especially on private property. Nine years ago, when he first moved to Maverick County Ranch, he said the Border Patrol would apprehended 37 illegal aliens on his property during a year, typically. He said right now he's seeing an average of 200 illegal aliens per night. He said they're absolutely trashing our fences. I had to have him, I had to hire a full-time employee who spends 40 hours a week fixing fences and picking up trash. That's literally all he does. That's all he does. He said he's had to add security cameras. He's installed hurricane shutters on the ranch house to prevent people from breaking into his house. He said uh, the fact that the houses are not secure, we have to have, uh, we have to leave unlocked, the houses that are insecure, we have to leave unlocked because if we don't leave the doors unlocked, They'll break the windows to get in. Uh, those houses are broken into at least once a week. He says, I've actually moved my wife and kids off the ranch due to safety reasons. I don't want to put them in that danger. And he said the financial loss is tough to estimate, but he's holding it at about $300,000 so far this year, nine months into the year, uh, from having to patch damage that's uh, constantly being done. He says that's simply putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. That has nothing to do with replacing anything. If we were to replace everything, it'd be $800,000 a year plus. Oh, so um, they're getting much poorer, aren't they, with this policy of open borders. Another rancher and his family, Christopher Roswell, said that he's owned property in Maverick County for several generations, and he's lived there for 26 years. His family has, but hey, you know they've, they've owned it for... His family's on the property for several generations. He's been there for 26 years. He says, what I've witnessed over just the last two years has been completely insane. Safety has become a major concern. My wife, my kids, our employees, and myself, all of us carry a pistol everywhere we go on the ranch. He says, uh, we've been cussed at. We've been threatened. We've had rocks and sticks thrown at us. Our dogs have been beaten on multiple occasions by illegals. In the past, we've not had these issues. Roswell recently moved his family off the ranch due to safety fears. He says his main income is recreational hunting. They have exotic or uh, native game, uh, and they have people who come there to uh, pay. You know, they, they raise the animals, some of them exotic, uh, but people come there and pay to hunt on the property. 
He goes, well, that means that um, uh, ranchers who rely on these high fences to keep stock on their property, and particularly off of the highways, where they'll be liable if an animal escapes and causes injury. He said um, uh, his fence, he said uh, they've had to rebuild the fence many times. Uh, He says his fence by the main highway has been completely ruined from being cut and driven through countless times. He says every hunting camp that I have has been vandalized. Our headquarters have been broken into. He said we've had half of our Highway gates have been run through. We've had three electric gates destroyed. Most of my hunting blinds have been vandalized. Windows and doors broken. One of them set on fire. Several of them used as bathrooms. He said all of the illegal aliens carry knives and they travel in groups. He said for the first time, so I guess you really don't need to have a magazine that is going to have more than, I don't know, 10 rounds in it, right? Oh, yeah, because you know, you'll only be f- facing people one at a time. It wouldn't be fair if they came at you more than one at a time, would it? He says it's also the abuses of the human trafficking. He says in the last year we found six dead illegals that I'm aware of, and I've helped women and uh, men who have been beaten, raped, and abandoned by their groups. This past winter we found a little girl that was eight years old. She had been lost for three days. and um, Her group just left her, just abandoned her. He said, imagine your kids or your grandkids playing in these yards. He said, because that's what we are living through every single week. We've had our ranch truck stolen. The amount of trash on the property is completely disgusting. We've had tons and tons of backpacks and bottles and trash bags. Probably about 200,000 gallons of fresh water have been wasted and poured out onto the ground. So um, this is um, uh, that's the people who are hunting. Then they've got even more people. They've got a guy who is an organic farmer. He moved there to do organic farming. But he said um, when the border crisis hit, he couldn't plant anything because all of it was being destroyed by the massive crowds that were coming through the wide open borders. He says, we have yet to be able to start it because of the trampling that's already in the fields. As some of you may know, in organic farming, any kind of contamination deems the crop completely useless, and you've got to destroy it within a 10-foot radius of any footprint, of any animal, of anything that comes in. So he's not going to be able to do any organic farming uh, because these people who don't respect the border don't respect his property either. Uh, Finally, uh, one person said... um, Wayne King was talking about the fear. He spends four and a half hours every day checking fences on his exotic game ranch. He says it's become a dangerous, dangerous thing to live every night of your life wondering. He says, I sleep with pistols under my pillow, pistols in every room, pistols on my nightstand. It's just crazy. He says, uh, I'm located 25 miles from the nearest town. 9-11 doesn't help me at all. Well, that's the border. And uh, so Biden is not interested at all in that. Lala Harris says it's completely secure. Uh, She's going to go down there and uh, explain that to these people that they have absolutely nothing to worry about. Uh, Biden is moving on to other things. He's now promoting a cancer moonshot 
So um, I don't know. Is that going to be a um, shot in the arm? Is that going to be a vaccine? Uh, when they talk about a moonshot, uh, cancer moonshot, uh, maybe we're already getting cancer. Turbo cancer is what a lot of people have said is the, the jab is destroying the killer T cells that are your best line of defense against cancer. Uh, we've uh, seen uh, cancer turbocharged with warp speed. And we were told that was a moonshot. You know, it's to the point there's these certain things that you hear from people like, hey, you got to do it now or we're all going to die. Today, limited time offer, you know, that's a con, right? And the other thing that you know is a con is when they start talking to you about a moonshot. <laughs> from the get-go, moonshot, it's a con. Uh, so he's going to have a moonshot about cancer. Uh, speaking of that, I don't know what's the matter with uh, Fetterman, uh, but even the Democrats, the Democrats are the ones who are really concerned about it. You know, they're looking at this and saying, well, are we going to have to have another special election uh, shortly if this guy gets elected? Because, you know, he had a stroke. And now, everywhere he would go, he would go with a hoodie. He doesn't wear suits. He wears hoodies. And then they put out a a campaign picture uh, of this. What is that on his neck? Well, a lot of people are speculating. They don't know what it is. He's not going to release his medical records. He's not going to debate either because since his stroke, he's been having a lot of difficulty speaking. And so, Democrats, the Washington Post... Editorial board is calling on him to uh, release his medical records, calling on him to engage in debates that he refuses to do. I mean, this is the, you know, this, this guy is a full-on Marxist, and he's running against uh, Dr. Oz, who's a dual, dual citizen of uh, Turkey, and he's going to keep his Turkish citizenship that he's worked really hard to keep, uh, serving in the military there and everything else. He's going to keep that. Uh, unless and until he is elected. And and then he'll renounce it so that he can get to our uh, top-secret documents. Because, uh, again, the country that uh, classifies everything, whether or not it's classified, they have to uh, not worry about that. Uh, So um, it's interesting that even uh, the left is... uh, Many op-ed pieces are out there because they're worried about being able to keep power if this guy is truly sick. Um, the, uh, his speaking has been affected. His debating uh, skills are evidently bad enough that he's afraid to uh, get into a debate. And everybody is uh, speculating as to what the massive lump on his neck is truly about. CNN's Chris Saliza said it does seem that there's more to this story of Fetterman's health than we're getting from his campaign to this point. Again, there's just not any good choices in that election. They uh, had one candidate uh, in the primary, a young black woman, and she was uh, she called out uh, the two front runners as being Davos puppets, and they are. And um, but she didn't make it uh, out of the uh, out of the primary, unfortunately. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about uh, what is happening uh, against uh, patriots. But before we leave the uh, food stories that are there, I did have a listener, Kenny, who sent this to me about what he is seeing in uh, Iowa. Uh, He says, um, it's the time of year when I began to drive a silage truck for a local farm. If you don't know what a silage is, it's used to feed cattle. In fact, I hope we're about done uh, for the night as my normal job starts at 6 a.m. The drought is real, he says. With all the equipment running, 
It is almost a dust storm in the fields, harvesting equipment. He said the corn is stunted. I'm six feet tall, and I can stand in the middle of a field and see all around me. I've never seen that before. All that to say this. The feed corn, at least in my neck of the woods, I would put at 50 to 90% less yield than previous years. Yes, it's that bad. No feed, no burgers, no steaks. Do the math, right? Uh, so ask, tell the people to get ready. He said, just on the agricultural front, it's going to get really bad, and I'd say three to six months. Uh, so anyway, um, just wanted to pass that on to you. Uh, you know, is the food crisis over or just getting started, as many people say? Well, you know, the central planners want there to be a food crisis. Uh, what he's pointing out with the corn is that just as we look at uh, oil and gas and things like that, the fuel being fundamental, you know, you got to make the fertilizer off of the fuel and uh, generate your power and uh, use the fuel to transport goods to market. So that's a fundamental thing. But it's also a fundamental thing when you talk about corn because that's going to be used to feed the animals as well. So that's going to impact uh, a lot of different things. Uh, and it's not just animal feed. It's used in so many different things. Uh, so it's going to rush through the entire food process. But, you know, it, it came up shortly with the UN on just a, a day or so. And this, I talked about this briefly about a month or two ago. It went up on the UN website for just a day or so. Uh, some people snapshotted it. Some people went back and got it from the uh, archive. But the UN put this up. Hunger, they said, has great positive value to many people. Indeed, it is fundamental to the working of the world's economy. Hungry people are the most productive people, especially where there's a need for manual labor. <laughs> Just keep beating them, you know. The more you beat them, the, the more you get out of them. And so... Um, uh, as you look at what they're saying in Italy, for example, the head of Five Star said, I have a strong fear that September will be a time when many families will face the terrible choice of either paying their electricity bills or buying food. We're absolutely willing to dialogue to make our constructive contribution to the government to Draghi, uh, but we are not willing to write a blank check. And of course, uh, Mario Draghi was the guy that years ago, when they threw out the elected governments, uh, a couple of them, you know, Italy and in Greece. And they put in a guy at the, at the time, they, you know, he's a former Goldman Sachs banker, central banker. They called him a technocrat. And they just uh, threw out the elected officials and put him in place. Uh, that was about 10 years ago. Uh, but now, as we uh, look at this again, as I said before, control oil and you control nations, control food and you control the people. That's the idea behind all of us. And uh, it's Henry Kissinger who explained that to us. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Deceit. Telling the truth is a revolutionary act. 
You're listening to The David Knight Show. All right, and uh, we're back. And um, as I said, I'm trying to move to a paperless uh, situation here, and I'm having a little bit of problem with my paperless thingy. Um, and um, so some of the controls are not, uh, not working on it right now. I do have a paper backup. I'm not going to take too much longer to do this before I go to paper backup. Uh, but um, uh, we've had, uh, of course, on, on 9-11, we had the head of DHS, uh, Alejandra Mallorca, lecturing everybody, uh, saying that um, the terror threat that we're facing today is not foreigners, it's domestic people. And, of course, uh, that was not the terror threat that we had uh, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. They still have not uh, had a trial for the guy who was the mastermind. How could that be? I mean, we had invaded countries. We uh, sent troops there. We stayed there for 20 years, and yet we still haven't been able to do a trial of this guy. What are they afraid of? It's the same type of thing we saw with Mike Lindell. Please, you know, charge me, arrest me, because I'd like to go through discovery. I'd like to have my day in court. Oh, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. As a matter of fact, he says... Um, we have an emerging threat, domestic violent extremists, and um, we have other extremists. We have people like Tim Ryan who said uh, we need to kill and confront extremist Republican movement. Now, this is a congressman, a Democrat congressman, uh, saying that his political opposition is, um, needs to be uh, stopped. We need to kill this, and we need to confront it. Uh, he says... Um, uh, some of the answers are going to have to come from Republicans, but not from these extremists that we're dealing with every day. We've got to kill and confront that movement. But working with normal mainstream Republicans, that's going to be really, really important. Yeah, we've got to pull everybody back together again, the people who are the left and the right foot of the UN, the left and the right foot of Davos. Uh, he says, um, uh, I'm one of the most bipartisan guys in Congress. Uh, and he says, and I want to work across the aisle, uh, but we've got to kill this other movement. Yeah, exactly. Got to kill it. Uh, so uh, Mallorca, as he was echoing those same sentiments, everybody in the Biden administration, everybody in the Democrat Party is uh, lining up to call their opposition domestic terrorists and extremists. You had, as I also uh, reported beginning of the week, a Democrat senator. That's, so that was a uh, congressman. Senator Mark Warner, Democrat, used the 21st anniversary of 9-11 to absurdly compare the terrorists who, um, and this is uh, Breitbart talking about that. I'm sorry, Free Thought Project, uh, to compare the terrorists who attacked the Twin Towers and the Pentagon to insurgents who entered the Capitol on January the 6th. Is this a surprise? I mean, it's not really a surprise unless you really buy into that narrative. I am really kind of surprised that they would portray it as like, oh, yeah. It was, it was carried out by yeah, men with box cutters who were able to fly all this stuff. If you buy that, if you don't understand this is an inside job, if you don't understand it's an inside job, then uh, maybe you're starting to get a perspective where you can deal with this criminal FBI, this criminal Department of Homeland Security, right? Again, remember, Homeland Security was created in response to this thing that was done from the inside and blamed on other people. And now we have the head of Homeland Security calling Americans the real problem. 
It was always targeted towards Americans. They've been doing this from the inside, and they've been doing it iteratively for 20 years, just as for 20 years they practiced their pandemic, and then they rolled it out with somebody that you would trust, right? Somebody who is, has been portrayed by all the media as their enemy. Oh, he, he's, he really hates the UN and the globalist agenda and all these multinational. He's going to defend us and attack those guys. Instead, he did everything that they always planned to do. Uh, so 9-11 was an inside job to come after patriots. Department of Homeland Security was an agency that was set up to come after patriots. And now the mask has come off of that part of it. But you still have people saying, well, you know, it was uh, foreign people 20 years ago. And now they pivoted to uh, Americans. Oh, really? Uh, no, they were just building their infrastructure for decades, a bit at a time. So now the problem says Homeland Security is radicalized Americans. And the key thing about that makes these radicalized Americans dangerous is information. So the focus really has to be misinformation because it's what people are thinking that has to be controlled in a totalitarian society. He says, uh, back when 9-11 occurred in those years, we were very focused on the foreign terrorists. He said uh, that while... Uh, that white extremists are now the greatest threat to America. And we put out terror alerts painting opponents of COVID lockdowns. See, that makes you an extremist terrorist. You oppose, you oppose these people who come in and lock down society, turn it into a prison. That's what lockdown originally meant. Years before they started using the term lockdown in schools, uh, when they started using that, when they started putting in metal detectors and police officers, and I said, they're turning the prisons and the schools into prisons because these are the types of things they always had in prisons, and they would have lockdowns in a prison. And now, after you've had a couple of generations of kids who have gone through that uh, introduction to prison life that we call government schools, you know, moving the Overton window a bit, right? Training them into this. Uh, now they're ready to do it to the entire society. And anybody who opposes turning everybody into prisoners with lockdowns and stuff like that, people like me, we are, and you, uh, we are extremists because we oppose lockdowns. And people who don't trust the Biden regime, he says these people are potential domestic terrorists. Potential domestic terrorists. And they put up a slide. You know, here's, here's three ways that you know potential domestic terrorists. They, they oppose COVID measures. Uh, they have claims about election fraud. Uh, they believe that Trump can be reinstated. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is uh, the types of things that you see. So, again, uh, Tucker Carlson was talking about the fact that this is uh, a move, a full-blown political purge is what he calls it, with these subpoenas and the type of thing that we just saw with uh, Mike Lindell. Uh, so he said as part of his, uh, his monologue that there's a transcript of here, he said, uh, so now keep in mind that any claim that you make as an American citizen about elections, any claim that you make about American politics, period, is protected explicitly under the First Amendment. Except as I just told you earlier, we have people who don't understand. Uh, they don't know anything about free speech or free press or freedom of religion. You know, that's dropped from 
50 to 56 percent of the people down to 20 to 24 percent of the people who are even aware that that type of thing even exists. So um, Tucker Carlson says, well, you understand this is part of your First Amendment protection. Well, they don't even know what the First Amendment is. He goes, that's our core freedom. That's why nobody prosecuted leading Democrats in 2018 when they sought to reject electors for Donald in 2016, when they sought to elect the reject the electors for Donald Trump. He says, on what grounds are you demanding private communications with people? He said, uh, we've seen some of the subpoenas. The subpoena goes to demand the communications from dozens of other Republicans and people who have spoken to them, uh, people who are elected officials uh, like Representative Jake Hoffman in Arizona, Republican National Committee member Kathleen Burden in Michigan, and so on and so forth. You know, we've had... Uh, it's become a, uh, a phrase. Everybody knows what McCarthyism is, right? And uh, are we going to have um, something enter the language and enter into the lexicon uh, Bidenism? Is this going to be the new uh, term for political witch hunts? Because that's what this has become. Uh, the point of this is to suppress political dissent, to hobble an entire political party, and to keep any of these people from ever participating in American politics again. He says um, uh, about all this. But, you know, they only get concerned about this when, again, it comes after them or their friends personally, or it affects President Trump. Uh, this is why you only see them get outraged about censorship when it's Republican politicians that are censored. But when they come after Republican voters, when they come after anybody who is questioning the COVID policies that were put in by Trump, the COVID policies that all these people, these Republicans who are now so outraged about all this stuff, said nothing to push back against it. You know, I would just tell Tucker Carlson, hey, Tucker, where have you been for the last 914 days? Because they were rolling out some of the most authoritarian policies we ever had, and you were quiet. But now that it's in your group of people, now you're concerned about it. I've said for the longest time, I say this to the, to the Democrats, just like uh, you, you see uh, Bill Maurer saying it to the Democrats. It's like, and you see Glenn Greenwald saying it to the Democrats. It's like, we can't allow this to become commonplace because it's going to eventually come around to us as well. You know, you're celebrating right now because it's not you. You're celebrating because it's your enemy, but it's going to come back around to you. Tucker Carlson makes the point as well in terms of this political persecution. He says, by the way, the cost to each of these individuals or to any person uh, whose house the FBI shows up to is enormous. Ask anybody you saw the FBI showed up with guns at their home what it's like. Well, why didn't they ask people what it was like? Because we've had the FBI, we've had SWAT teams, we've had militarized police showing up and swatting middle and low income houses for a very long time and nobody cared about it. Oh, it's a war on drugs or it's this or it's that. And it's legitimate when it happens to somebody. But if they go to Mar-a-Lago Lago, and they're there when uh, Trump is not even there, oh, that's outrageous. And it is outrageous, but it was outrageous when it happened to other people, when other people got killed with no-knock SWAT team raids. Yeah, this is bad. He said, uh, by accusing these people of insurrection, for asking questions about the elections or comparing them to Confederate soldiers, 
Merrick Garland's Department of Justice plans to disenfranchise them, if not jail them. He says, really? To which I say, really? Now you're noticing? How about the people who've had everything stolen from them, including their lives, or had loved ones who've been killed by this out-of-control government? And that's how it gets to this point, right? Eventually it gets to uh, the people who thought they were above all of this stuff and didn't have to care. He said, um, Mexico uh, just removed, uh, New Mexico rather, just removed um, an elected county commissioner, a judge there, uh, from office, overturning the will of the voters. Why? Well, because he had dared to exercise his constitutional rights to participate in the election justice protests on January the 6th. Who knew that this would be like this? Who knew that we would have a uh, situation where you would have uh, agent provocateurs show up? Who knew that this whole thing would be used as a narrative to attack anybody that was opposed to them politically? Well, I knew. I was telling people about it. That's why I was fired, because I was telling people about it. I said, this is a grift, and this is how it's going to end up exactly like this. And I'm, I'm fine about that. I'm glad uh, that that happened. I just wish that people would have listened. I was saying it all the way up to that morning a couple of hours before it happened. I said, you think you're going for a protest. You're being led like a lamb to the slaughter, and while the guy with a megaphone is leading you into it, he's picking your wallet, and that's why he's leading you into it. Because he's portraying himself and Trump as saviors. And you're going to buy his stuff, right? That's what it was all about. It's just that simple, that basic, that corrupt. So yeah, every, every, two days after the election, I know where these people are going with all this nonsense about it's a sting. They've already started arresting people and all the rest of this stuff. And people were in the conservative movement were falling for it hook, line, and sinker. Millions of people viewing it. You even had uh, Clarence Thomas's wife sending Mark Meadows, chief of staff, this thing. Hey, I hope this is real. Uh, you guys really set this stuff up, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it was a setup, all right. It was a sting, all right. But not in the way that you are told. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Decoding the mainstream propaganda. It's the David Knight Show. Talk a little bit about abortion and what is happening in uh, the Republican Party and what is happening in some of these trials to push back against it. Because it has broad consequences for a lot of different things, as we've seen with the Republicans who are trying to modify their position. Uh, they're doing it, and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a moment. Uh, as I said uh, yesterday, uh, they are going rhino even before the election happens. Usually they wait until after they get voted in or, or reelected. Uh, before we go back to it, though, I just want to thank a couple of people who've uh, left tips and, and some comments. Uh, Colton Kimberly, thank you very much for the tip. 
Uh, question, what do you think about the gold and silver IRA, considering it? Well, I think it's a, I, I like the idea. I haven't gone, I haven't set one up for myself. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, we took most of our money out of the IRA just so we could do this move and, and do other things like that. Figured, well, uh, <laughs> at least I can live in it, perhaps. Uh, and so, um, uh, but I had looked into it and I think that's a much better way to go. Physical gold and silver IRA, I think is a much better way to go than paper, gold, and silver. I had put stuff in paper, gold, and silver in past years that I've now, you know, uh, again, taken out. And, um, then I realized that, uh, <laughs> they don't have the gold and silver to back up that paper. Uh, that's another one of these derivative things that could just basically hit the fan. And that's also coming out of, typically coming out of Shanghai. Most of these things, uh, you know, the big popular ones are coming out of the Shanghai Gold Exchange. So there's a lot, a lot of issues with that. You've had some people who are whistleblowers who have been involved with the London Gold Exchange for a long time talking about how they are manipulating and creating gold, you know, supposed gold out of thin air with these paper gold and paper silver certificates. So uh, if you want to get into those metals, I would suggest that you set up an IRA that is, um, that is based on physical stuff. But I haven't got any experience with it. But again, you know, Tony uh, has somebody that works, that he works with, that does uh, set that up. And he can help you to uh, fund that. If you go to davidknight.gold, it'll take you to Tony at wisewolf.gold. Uh, but um, uh, that's all I can tell you about the gold and silver IRAs. And uh, thank you for the tip, Colton. Appreciate that. And Alan Terry, thank you very much for the tip. I appreciate that. Again, let's talk a little bit about religious freedom laws. You know, those uh, laws that are part of the you know, the fundamental right that is recognized in the Bill of Rights that people don't know anything about, as I pointed out. And uh, you know, only about one out of five people even know about religious freedom. And uh, yet, some people who do know about it, uh, the ACLU and the Satanic Temple, uh, they're trying to pervert it. There's an article from LifeSite News I thought was very interesting. It's based on a couple of lawsuits. They've taken... Uh, a legal tact now to say that abortion is a religious right. And I think that's kind of funny because for the longest time, many of us who are pro-life have said, uh, look, it's a religious right with these people. I mean, they, I, I've played for you videos of a lady who had uh, set up this little shrine to her uh, baby that she aborted. And she's got candles and she's talking about how she meditates on it and all this other kind of stuff. Remember that? It was kind of sick. And, um, but I've talked about how uh, this is uh, just uh, set on a pedestal, this practice, and it's, and it's worship, like a religious rite, R-I-T-E. And so now they're trying to say, well, it's a religious R-I-T-E, religious R -I -T -E, so it should be a right as well, and that's the basis of some of these lawsuits. The Satanic Temple is involved in some of them. You know, essentially, if child sacrifice is uh, what my religion calls for, then um, you should not be able to stop me from doing an abortion. The ACLU and the abortion industry, says LifeSite News, are resorting to a favorite last-ditch effort in an attempt to overturn a pro-life law passed by Indiana's duly elected representatives, the pro-abortion legal group wants a judge to rule that Indiana's new state law, 
which will shut down all abortion facilities in the state and is expected to eliminate 95% of abortions in Indiana. They say this is a violation of the state's Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So the state of Indiana has a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. They've already tried this strategy once before, trying to uh, use the federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And these are people, again, who have attacked religious freedom deliberately. You know, trying to, uh, you, you don't use their pronouns, they're going to take your job. They're going to do everything they can to you. So they're attacking your religious freedom, your religious beliefs, but now they are falling back to it in a cynical, hypocritical way. Planned Parenthood and the Satanic Temple. Uh, this guy who's, uh, I forget what his original name was. He calls himself Lucian Greaves. That's the one that he invented. Uh, previously tried to do this and failed to do it with, um, against Missouri's pro-life law. And in that particular one in Missouri, they were trying to do it on the basis of the federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act. That was shut down uh, because state and federal uh, religious freedom restoration laws do not give a broad liberty to somebody to evade other laws simply by claiming that it violates their religion or whatever the satanic temple is supposed to be. And um, that's part of what the problem is with this. In a sense, when you look at these laws that are put there that really shouldn't be necessary uh, when you look at the First Amendment, the government, you know, the First Amendment is very straightforward, very basic. It's a prohibition of the government infringing on your religious uh, uh, practices. Uh, but um, the Indiana law uh, says, um, well, before we do that, you know, what, what is the, the basis here, really? You know, what, what is the basis? How do we, how do we split this baby? You know, somebody comes in and they say, well, um, I have a pagan religion or a satanic religion, or my religion is feminism or something like that. And uh, my religion requires that I have complete control of my body and I get to do whatever I wish. Do as thou wilt is my religion, and you're keeping me from doing as I wilt. So uh, uh, you're infringing on my religious freedom. Well, I think the answer to that is, is really pretty simple. Your liberty does not allow you to harm other people. Uh, and that would include murder, right? So just because you've got liberty, that doesn't mean that you can go out and harm other people. As many people have put it, your freedom to swing your fist in the air stops at my face. You know, once you hit me with your swing, you can swing your, your fist all you want to, but once you hit me, that's, uh, that's a different story. And then the second thing is that um, we all know that uh, the Satanic Temple has even said that their religion is a sham. They said, we don't really believe in Satan. We just want to mock and to attack and to shut down Christianity. And so what they'll do is they'll set up parallel structures in a really odious way. If somebody's got an after-school Bible study or something like that that's allowed somehow, somewhere, well, they'll do the same thing with the satanic thing. And the people are like, well, we don't want people talking about, you know, having satanic classes for kids. So they'll shut it down and shut down the, uh, the Christian uh, class or something like that at the same time. You know, that's why they do that type of thing. And so that's what they're trying to do with this as well. So we shouldn't be fooled by their, uh, their hypocrisy and uh, their different 
tactics. But this is what the law actually says. A governmental entity may substantially burden a person's exercise of religion. Really? Really? And they say, only if this condition is met. But I look at that and I say, wait a minute. Uh, that's not religious freedom restoration. You're giving yourself, you're changing a fundamental God-given right into a government-granted privilege. You know, we can only take away your religious fundamental rights only if certain uh, conditions are met. No, you don't take away rights at all. If you take away rights, then it's not a right anymore. If you can take it away, it's not a right. So these religious freedom restoration acts themselves are subversive of religious freedom. So they can take it away only if the governmental entity demonstrates. So what is this big thing that's going to be so important that they're going to overrule the Constitution, that they're going to overrule specific prohibitions from government doing anything against these specific rights? What is it? What is the thing that is so important that, uh, well, we can't do it, but only if, only if, well, the only if is the only if the governmental entity demonstrates that application of the burden to the person is in the furtherance of a compelling governmental interest. Oh, and that it is the least restrictive means of furthering that compelling governmental interest. So you have rights, but only if they don't get in the way of compelling governmental interest. Your rights are subordinate to what the government wants, is what these things are saying. i got a big problem with that. They don't talk about that in the LifeSite News. Uh, that's not the thrust of their article. Uh, the thrust of their article is, uh, you know, how cynical and hypocritical and, and uh, you know, these, these organizations are and how they're trying to uh, take away um, uh, pro-life protections. But they're accepting, without really understanding it, they're accepting the fact that the government has just removed your religious liberties that were hardcore foundational rights. Oh, no, I'm just going to sweep them under the carpet by saying, you know, we're going to protect those except under certain circumstances where we really have a compelling government interest here. And so um, they go on to say the same thing holds for any Aztec who wants to challenge the state's laws against murdering children in a human sacrifice or even adults, right? Uh, but again, they don't really understand, I think, how to separate this out. Your liberty doesn't allow you to harm other people. It's just that simple. They talk about a, a case, uh, Court of Appeals, Indiana, just re rejected a similar effort, they said. Uh, a guy came in. He was charged with punching his children in the face, of striking their heads with his elbow, and of choking them. They said, well, you know, that's just my religious uh, freedom to do that. That's just my religious freedom. Uh, no, I mean, corporal punishment is something that I would uphold for parents, uh, but that's not the kind of thing we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, uh, th there's a line that this guy apparently crossed uh, with that. Uh, I think there's uh, more effective ways to punish kids, but there is a, a, a place for that at a certain age and uh, under certain controlled 
uh, situations. But if he's punching the kids in the face and choking them and hitting them in the head with his elbow and other things like that, uh, he clearly doesn't understand where the line is drawn. Anyway, in this particular case, the ACLU has argued that being denied the ability to kill a baby violates the religious freedom of Unitarian Universalists because a Unitarian Universalist, they said, quote, believes an abortion is necessary. And that this, quote, breaks the covenant Unitarian Universalists have to honor their own inherent worth and dignity and will impose a substantial burden on the sincere religious beliefs and the exercise of a Unitarian Universalist. Well, I don't know uh, where these people are coming from, but if they think that they have inherent worth and dignity and other people don't, uh, <laughs> I don't think we really need to care. take that any further after that point. The lawsuit also argues on behalf of pagans, they said because they, quote, demand as part of their religious and spiritual tradition that women have full bodily autonomy, free from interference from others. The claim the ACLU makes to satisfy the quote-unquote burden test is to argue that women, none of whom are currently pregnant, are avoiding pregnancy until they can have an abortion. A pagan plaintiff argues that her anxiety over not being able to kill her own baby has resulted in a reduction in physical intimacy, quote-unquote, with her husband, and that this is, quote, another form of impingement upon her religious beliefs. Well, uh, the, um, uh, that's not going to fly. But again, we have to take a step back uh, from the insanity and actually come up with a reason as to why none of this works. And it always comes back to your liberty doesn't allow you to harm other people. Uh, that's the fundamental prin principle right here. Uh, but I think that, you know, in defending this with these uh, supposedly defending it, you know, we have to be careful. This is, this is what the next story is really about. We have to be careful that we don't fall for something that looks like it is supporting our freedom when in reality it is subverting our freedom. And I think that's the case with what Lindsey Graham is doing when he's talking about a national abortion restrictions bill. He is trying to do a couple of things. First of all, he wants to play to the pro-life crowd within the Republican Party, but he wants to pull it back and put some loopholes in it so that he doesn't completely alienate, alienate himself from what he perceives to be uh, mainstream public opinion. But the trap in all of this is the fact that they're going to federalize this. Why is that a trap? Well, first of all, uh, nationalizing this thing, I think, is a trap. For the same reason that we've seen for the last 50 years, uh, we saw that um, all of the uh, states were afraid to do anything, which they had the power to do under the 10th Amendment. And uh, they had the power to defend human life, but they refused to do it. They bowed to the federal government, specifically to the Supreme Court. And I think if um, when, when you look at that, you say that if we accept that this can be done at the federal level, that kind of centralization, number one, destroys federalization in many different ways, in many different ways, in ways that are other issues. And I understand how important abortion is. I'm not downplaying the importance of abortion. But just as the Alito decision on Dobbs, you know, that uh, got everybody so 
outraged about this, that overthrew Roe v. Wade. How did it overthrow Roe v. Wade? By asserting the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution, which says that um, if you don't have this stuff specifically given to you, it is retained as a power of the state. And when they did that, they said, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that the Supreme Court and even the federal government has taken away from people that are liberties, liberties at the uh, federal level and uh, you know, individual liberties that have been taken away by centralizing things and making a federal law, a federal case out of every single thing. We need to have different approaches to this. And we need to have federalism. Consolidation, centralization is going to destroy our country and our society and our liberty in a myriad number of ways. And so what Lindsey Graham is trying to do is really trying to bring back Roe v. Wade powers. And he's going to do it by telling you that he's going to defend life. But what's going to happen to that? From a pragmatic standpoint, the next time the Democrats get a majority, they're going to just flip the switch on that. We've seen that happening over and over again with abortion funding. And um, by, uh, you know, the Republicans would block it and then the Democrats would bring it back in. So it's going to be on, off, on, off with every election. And you're going to have all abortions happening everywhere when the Democrats get control. And then you'll flip it off and then you'll have all abortions everywhere. You're not going to be able to stop it either if the states, uh, not just individuals, you know, prohibition has got its limitations, as we've seen with the drug war. If people are sick enough spiritually, medically, psychologically, if they're sick and they're addicted to this stuff, uh, you're not going to stop them from getting it. And if people want to do the abortions, they're going to do them. And if it's a state that wants that to happen, the state is going to assist them. So, I mean, we're not even talking about the typical problems from a pragmatic standpoint that you have with an abortion. But you're going to have a situation where you're going to destroy federalism, you're going to consolidate all power in Washington, and by doing that, when the Democrats get charge, uh, get in charge, you're going to have more kids killed. If you can at least pull back and have a, the whole point of federalism, the federalism is to make sure that we got different approaches so people can see what creates a better society. We should be the shining example on a hill. That's what we should aspire to in our states and our communities, rather than trying to dictate practices to people who absolutely reject it. I mean, to me, it's, it's not going to be any more effective than going to a uh, Lucian grieves and force baptizing him into your church or something. I mean, he's going to completely uh, reject that. Uh, so, you know, you can't legislate this mo- morality when the majority of people and the state government are opposed to it. They will find any kind of workaround to it. I mean, just look at what Hochul is doing with, um, you know, playing the legal games with uh, firearms and that type of thing. It has to be from within. And, and when we do this type of thing, even as a pro-life community, when we start to try to take these political approaches and think that we're going to change everything by politics and, instead of the power of God, and instead of changing people from the inside, that's where we fail. 
And of course, Lindsey Graham is going to be somebody who's going to try to do that. He's going to try to you know, grandize his position. And I think it's going to be an ultimate betrayal. I think it will backfire in a very bad way in a lot of different ways. It'll backfire on abortion and on many, many other things. And he's going to shut down, if he's capable of doing this, he's going to shut down this positive movement towards restoring the Tenth Amendment that began with Dobbs. So he says, we'll introduce legislation to get America in a position on the federal level, I think, that is fairly consistent with the rest of the country on things like incest and incest and uh, risk to life and physical health of the mother. So he wants to moderate the position already. So already he's moderating the protection of innocent life at the federal level. So if they federalize this, you know, uh, what are you going to do at the state level? Uh, anyway, he says, if we take back the House and the Senate, I can assure you that we'll have a vote on the bill. Graham has previously introduced bills that sought to ban abortion nationally from 20 weeks. And so now, because he's going to be softening what a lot of states have already done, he's going to take it from 20 weeks down to 15 weeks to try to appeal to his base. But then he's going to compromise in the sense that he's going to say, well, if it's a baby that is a product, uh, somebody says, of rape, then we can kill the baby, that type of thing. Again, these are decisions that uh, should not be centralized, uh, and, um, and yet uh, that's what he's going to do. So <clears throat> anyway, um, Schumer comes out and attacks this Republican idea, and just a Republican idea about protecting innocent life altogether. Schumer says, rather than giving individuals the freedom to make their own health care choices, they hand that power over to radical politicians. It's like, what? I mean, huh, your body, our mask is what this guy's been saying. I know it's your body, but it's our mask. I know it's your body, but it's our vaccine. I know it's your body, but it's our mandate and our passport. And you're going to do what I say. This is what these people have been saying for the last thousand days. And now, again, this hypocrisy uh, about my body, my choice stuff. Well, the baby is not your body, but uh, these people do not support your body, your choice. And it is very hypocritical. Now, Axios that is uh, reporting this, their take on it is that uh, Graham's bill is designed to present Republicans as being more mainstream on abortion by pushing a partial ban over either a full ban or what they characterize as Democrats' abortion on demand position. Again, they're going to pander to perception. They're going to weaken any protection uh, of this, but they're also going to be weakening the Tenth Amendment and the Constitution because you know, they want to concentrate power. Lindsey Graham wants all power in it to be concentrated in Washington. He's a hardcore status. He is a, a controlled opposition establishment flack. Truly is. Guard Goldsmith. Hey, Guard, how you doing? Thank you so much for the tip. Uh, and he's got a comment here. He says, uh, thank you for going the extra mile in your research and analysis, David. Uh, your insight into the state attack on real religious liberty is very important. It's similar to Scalia's closing of his Heller gun decision, undercutting the very meaning of natural rights. That's right. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. Uh, Guard is uh, very well versed in, in the history of this stuff. As, and I really do appreciate his, his insights. Yeah, that is an important point. You know, we've seen Scalia do that many different times. You know, oh, well, uh, you've got these rights unless we've got a compelling interest. <laughs> and then uh, if I'm interested in uh, something that conflicts with your rights, well, then I, I'm going to uh, take those rights away. 
A New York Times column spells out the anti-Christian pro-abortion goals of the feminist revolution. Uh, this is something that got uh, LifeSite News very upset. And, and it was kind of interesting because, um, you know, we look at it, mom and apple pie used to always be the things that the candidates would, uh, would suck up to, right? But now nothing is sacred. Uh, the New York Times columnist uh, attacked motherhood. The whole thing was about attack on motherhood. And what got LifeSite News, which is a Catholic site, even more upset was they attacked Mary as an example of how this is a patriarchal myth that is setting up a standard for, uh, for motherhood, which is antithetical to feminism, they said. Uh, a shocking target of her rage, writes LifeSite News, is uh, Mary became the, said, quote, the most virtue-laden symbol of motherhood there is her identity being entirely eclipsed by the glory of her maternal love, said the author in the New York Times. So she claims that Mary was a moral model of unattainable goodness and perpetual servitude that can be stifling and unforgiving. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how these people uh, spin the stuff? Uh, one of the strongest contradictions of procured abortion is that the practice is so contrary to maternal instinct, says LifeSite News. Um, it def it uh, defies the imagination of all those who have known and who have revered their mothers. The intimate connection over the time of pregnancy establishes an undeniable affection between mother and child. Thus, mothers cherish and nurture their children with tenderness and love. In a healthy family, the link is lifelong as all children naturally reciprocate by exalting their mother. That's the way it should be. But feminists disagree. They find this narrative hard to overcome because it is so natural. Maternal affection has always proven an obstacle to the sexual revolution, which seeks to deprive sexuality of its consequence in children. The idea of motherhood must be destroyed for, the true, for true liberation. More importantly, the real target, however, is Christianity and the highest manifestation of maternal instinct found in Mary. And, of course, the government agrees with this. The government wants to destroy mothers. Uh, that's why they keep incentivizing uh, you turning over your children at an early age to be mothered by the state. And this is uh, something that transcends uh, religious issues as well. This is something the state has always sought to do, going back to Plato's Republic. Yeah, I don't want his ideal society uh, was going to be, you know, the elites on the top, and they've got the, the guys with the muscle who are going to enforce everything they want to do, and then there's the rest of the people. And he didn't even want people to know who their mothers and fathers were, ideally. Uh, they would only have an attachment to the state, which would make them perfectly controllable. Uh, so in this... Uh, in this op-ed piece on New York Times, this author, uh, first of all, says that maternal instinct is not innate. You know, it is not natural for mothers to love their babies. That's unnatural, right? You should love yourself. Because in the last days, we know, people will become lovers of self, right? Uh, the central thesis of the rant is the, quote, selfish, uh, selfishness and tenderness babies require uh, sorry, selflessness and tenderness that babies require. Uh, 
It's uniquely ingrained in the biology of women, and it's ready to go, go at the flip of a switch. That's what the uh, New York Times writer mocked. Uh, she said it's, um, there is no longer a maternal instinct for her. Instead, she says there are parental, there's a parental brain instead. Uh, this writer's name is actually Conaboy. Yeah, that's <laughs> interesting uh, uh, how that lines up with what she's trying to say. The author's new theories contradict what many exper have experienced in their relationship uh, with mothers and as mothers, but they do coincide with feminist and Marxist narratives that reduce everything to power and to class struggle. That's it. It's all about political power. And the way you get political power is through class struggle or race struggle. That's why they want to create a race war here in the U.S., not a class struggle. Capitalism also played its role, they, she said, in reinforcing maternal instinct by separating women from the workplace and consigning them to domesticity and consumption. Well, I don't know. I think, uh, I think people are starting to realize the scam that's been played on them. During the 20th century, LifeSite News said the problem is that, uh, for the feminists anyway, that science worked against them, so-called science. Even the psychologists and psychoanalysts and child development experts said that um, maternal love was vital for a child's emotional and physical development. But Ms. Conaboy admits that it's still everywhere, which makes her work all the more urgent. She's got to shut it down. Let's come after motherhood. Parenthood, everything, right? Uh, they've been attacking fathers for a long time. Now it's mom's turn. Now she's in the barrel being shot at. The real target of the SAS is not to critique the, the post-maternal um, post uh, past. She reveals her intentions by using the attack on maternal instincts to push forward the sexual agenda. It is a seamless fit into the liberal program. Maternal instincts, she says, can play a role in driving opposition to birth control and abortion. So that's got to, you know, that's the enemy because we've got to make that the goal. Uh, she points to the success of ultrasound machines that rely on the maternal instinct to dissuade women from abortion. Um, I've mentioned it before. I said when Karen was working for a pro-life organization, I said, you know, the best thing they could do, and this is back in the early 1980s, 40 years ago, I said that they ought to just pool all of their money for a while and try to get somebody to do better ultrasound. If you get a better picture of what the baby is, uh, it would just sell it. You, you, you don't have to explain. You just show them the picture of the living baby inside of them. I said, that's going to do it. And that's been, as they point out, and even the... The anti-mother feminist points out that's their most effective thing. However, the real target is Christianity and the church, which she admits are creators of social constructs. And by the way, that's why our society is falling apart, is because we've lost this foundation and these constructs. Uh, so um, that's where she goes after, uh, after Mary, and uh, you know, and that's you know, how the uh, how the rest of the story ends. But while we're on religious liberty and these other issues, here's another example uh, going to the Supreme Court. Uh, this is a Jewish university 
and uh, they are being attacked by the LGBT mob. Uh, the legal challengers argued that Jewish New York University, founded in 1886, they said this is not a religious institution and they should be forced to endorse the LGBT Pride Alliance Club on campus. A uh, legal battle began last year when a group of students and alumni of Yeshiva University uh, took, their, took the university to uh, court demanding that they endorse this Pride Alliance Club. Uh, this is the oldest Jewish university in the United States, and, um, and they're trying to get it thrown out, saying it is not a religious institution. Well, again, I, I guess this is irrelevant to me, whether or not it is a religious institution. I guess one of the reasons that they are attacking that is because in that particular case, it should be a slam dunk because of what the First Amendment says. So if they are a religious institution and uh, this is against their religion, we're done here. So that's why they have to attack it. But I just have to ask, um, is the LGBT mob, is, is that a religion as well? Because it seems to be operating that way. It's a whole set of religious beliefs. They're dogmatic about it. They demand that everybody bow the knee and celebrate and worship what they do. So it does come across a bit as a religion. Well, if it's not a religion though, if it's not a religion, let's just pull it back and let's say that the uh, Jewish university is not a religious institution as they contend they are. Well, now we have a situation where they have a preference of uh, a cultural preference, if you will, or an individual preference, but it's their individual preference over and above and against the preference of the LGBT Pride Alliance. So why should they be, and here's the operative word, forced? Where, where does the, even if you take the religious issue out of it, because again, the religious uh, uh, issue would make this an open and shut case. But even if you take that out, then where do these other people get off forcing other people to do what they want? What's the basis for that? And why are you more important than other people, you see? Uh, no, they don't. Uh, so they said uh, all undergraduates are strongly encouraged. They try to make the case that it is a religious uh, thing. All undergraduates are strongly encouraged to begin their yeshiva experience with an intensive religious studies in Israel with over 80% doing so for university credit and so on. So they're, they're, the fight right now is over that. But we, again, we need to understand that your desire of what you want to do does not allow you to compel me to use your pronouns, does not compel me to uh, put your club into our institution and organization if the rest of us don't want it. Your preferences and your desires don't take um, control of what everybody else wants to do. We've got to get back to that fundamental understanding. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we will be right back. Stay with us.
listening to The David Knight Show. Sorry, got my foot twisted around here. I couldn't get back on mic. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, pharmacia. Uh, Alex Berenson has a story uh, out of Australia, and he says this is an interesting case in point about the toxicities of vaccines. In uh, the Australian state of Victoria, you have the world's most highly mRNA vaccinated areas. And they've also kept everybody under lock and key, you know, the, uh, more than anywhere. This is where Melbourne is and all the different things we've seen. So they were, they were religious in their isolation rituals. And then they got 95% of the adults vaccinated and uh, nearly as many boosted uh, with the mRNA shot. And so he said, uh, Victoria offers an almost unique data uh, point, near real-time reporting as well on death trends of millions of people who are heavily vaccinated but who have had little exposure to COVID before being jabbed. So he says uh, what we're seeing here is that um, deaths have increased 27% above the monthly average of the previous five Augusts. So this is... Uh, seasonal, right? August is part of their winter and death rates go up during the winter. And so this is looking at uh, the, the rate of deaths in August compared to the previous five years, the same period of time. And it's gone up by 27%. And so mortality in Australia typically peaks through uh, June through August because that's their winter. He says so far in 2022, Victoria has registered 20% above its average over the same eight-month period uh, for the last uh, five years, Victoria has had more than 4,000 deaths in five months since February, crossed that threshold only in seven months in the previous 12 years. So he says uh, Victoria has had um, now a couple of things. They said they, they got a severe wave of COVID infections and deaths in 2022, even though 70% of its adults and nearly 90% of people over 60 are just vaccinated, not just vaccinated, but boosted. Okay. So what's that about? Is the vaccine a failure then? Well, yes. If you're saying that they've got one of two possible explanations, either what you're seeing here is people who are sick from the vaccine or if they're sick from what the vaccine was supposed to stop, then the vaccine is a failure because that's what vaccines are supposed to do. So it's either completely ineffective or it is the danger itself. He says at the same time, deaths from a lot of other causes are up sub substantially too and rising caseloads from both uh, things diagnosed as COVID with PCR, you're sick, give you PCR, oh, you got COVID and other illnesses have put heavy pressure on the state's hospital system. People are having to wait uh, more than six months at many hospitals compared to waiting time of three or four months last year because they had uh, socialized medicine. They would have to, they would ration the care. You'd still have a several month waiting period, but now it's uh, nearly doubled. Uh, so the Victoria hospitals are facing record breaking pressure, says the media headlines. Uh, Melbourne, uh, the police, uh, where the police fam infamously arrested a pregnant woman for inciting an anti-lockdown protest. Remember that? They came to her house. What'd she do to incite the protest? Uh, she just posted on Facebook, there's going to be a protest at such and such a time, such and such a place. And so they came to her house 
Uh, they were monitoring social media about that. They came to her house and they arrested her, the pregnant woman. So state law. So now that's part of it is that you're you're seeing this. And he said um, these are numbers that are tracked very quickly and that are required by law to be tracked. State law in Victoria requires physicians and funeral directors to report deaths online. They're registered immediately, and the figures rarely, if ever, change after the initial reported figure. However, this year they did change it. Because this year, he says, um, Victoria's current website only has this monthly death figures since September 2019. But if you look at the Wayback Machine, you can find the archived versions from early August 2020 that includes figures for every month going back to January 2010. Later, in August of 2020, for reasons that are not clear, oh, are they not clear? Yeah, he's being a little bit sarcastic here. Uh, the state removed all data from before mid-2019. Similar situation, isn't it? Just like the Defense Department's medical database, where as part of their preparedness, they need to be able to, con they need to constantly monitor the incidence of all types of diseases to know if they're under biological and chemical attack. It's part of their readiness. It's part of their watchfulness. So they set up a database to do exactly that. And then when people looked at that database and said, oh, this database shows that all these different illnesses are going up hundreds or thousands of percent, they went back and said, oh, oh we changed all, we've now changed compared to five years previous. They said, well, all the previous five years are wrong. We've changed all that now. So now they're doing the same thing in Victoria. They have, by law, a situation where physicians and funeral directors have to report online what's happening. As it's showing stuff escalating rapidly, they go back and remove the data. But people are able to find the data. In New Zealand, you have Jab Senda Arden has now scrapped nearly all COVID restrictions, including mask mandates and vaccine mandates. Uh, so New Zealand will be retiring the COVID-19 traffic light system as well. Let me just point out, they're not getting rid of this stuff. They're just pausing it. They're not retiring it. You know, that's what they're saying. Well, they're retiring its COVID-19. No, no, no. They're pausing it. They're pausing it. They've taken 10 steps forward. Now they're going to take one step back, but they're still inside your house. Now, they don't just have their foot in the door. Uh, they've got, you know, the door is unlocked and they've got all the keys that they want and they're going to keep those things. And that's one of the reasons why they're easing up just a little bit temporarily because they don't want people, they don't want us to take back the power uh, that they've stolen from us in the first place. Uh, Jab Senda said, it's time to safely turn the page on our COVID-19 management and live without the extraordinary measures that we have previously used. Yeah. All governmental vaccine mandates will end September 26th, and all vaccination requirements for incoming travelers and air crew will also be removed. So they're going to do this in a couple more weeks. Why don't they do it now? I mean, why do they? People have suffered long enough. You're going to make them wait another couple of weeks for this? You see, we've seen this throughout this whole thing, haven't we? This is another tell that it's a scam, another tell that it's a political pandemic, another tell that the whole thing was planned from the get-go. 
over and over again as they were locking us down. They did it step by step. Remember what Fauci said. We do it from the inside. We do it with disruption, and we do it iteratively. And we saw them doing this iteratively. You would see Macron. You would see Biden. You would see Trudeau. And they would say, in two months, okay, now we just added this new regulation here. And now in two months, we're going to take this next step. It's like, how do you know you're going to need this in two months? Are you saying that this new action that you just did isn't going to work? Well, if this new action that you just did isn't sufficient and it's not going to work, then if this was a response, even a boneheaded response, but if it was a genuine response that was based on health concerns, you would institute this next measure that you think is going to be necessary in two months. You would do that right now, wouldn't you? Instead, by saying, well, in two months, we're going to do that. All they're doing is moving the Overton window. All they're doing is getting, getting you accustomed to this. All they're doing is moving this iteratively. It had nothing to do with any health measures or any concerns. Because if it did, they would have d taken their best shot and done everything all at once. They wouldn't have said, you know, three months from now, which is what Biden and Trudeau did when they locked the border down, which kicked off the trucker convoy. They had both said, well, you know, in uh, two, three months, this is when we're going to do it. And they did it a Saturday uh, away from each other at about the same time. And they like to roll these things out on Saturday because that's a slow news day. So uh, Jab Cinda says, we now move on to a simple two-requirement system of masks in healthcare settings and seven-day isolation for positive cases only. This is her Simon Says. Now Simon says do this. Now Simon says do that. Now Simon is going to ease up a little bit, but Simon says you're still going to do this. Seven days if you get a positive test. The pushback she gets on this is not, where'd you get that authority? Who made you God? Who made you king? Shut up. You don't have any. No, that's not that. People are saying, well, can't we have three days or five days instead of seven days isolation if we get a positive PCR test? That's the pathetic response from these people. Uh, the pathetic response from the FDA is just simple refusal to provide any COVID vaccine safety analysis. Thank you, Boz, uh, Boss Ch Chavez. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I left a tip on Rockfin. Uh, U.S. drug regulators are still refusing to provide key analyses of COVID-19 vaccine safety database claiming that the factual findings cannot be separated by internal discussions protected by law. Oh, okay. None dare call it conspiracy, right? Well, how about this? How about it being a conspiracy? How about it being criminal? How about it being collusion between the FDA and the pharmaceutical companies? The Epic Times asked the Food and Drug Administration for all analyses performed by the agency for the Trump shots using a method called empirical Bayesian data mining, which involves comparing the adverse events recorded after a single COVID Trump shot uh, with those recorded after vaccination with non-COVID uh, vaccines. Okay, so basically what they want to uh, compare the Trump shots to non-genetic code injections. And uh, the FDA doesn't want them to see that. The FDA even said, we're not even going to give that to you in a redacted format. We're not going to do anything about it. Uh, they said, uh, 
there's a loophole in the Freedom of Information Act, according to the FDA, that lets the government withhold uh, interagency and intraagency memorandums and letters that would not be available by law to a party other than an, an agency that is in litigation with the agency. <laughs> so what they're saying is, I'm sorry, this is inside information. You can't see us. Uh, you can't see what we're talking to each other about. They also pointed to a code of federal regulations, which says uh, uh, if communica all communications within the executive branch of the federal government, which are in written form or which are subsequently reduced to writing, may be withheld from public disclosure except that factual information, which is reasonably segregatable in accordance with the rule established uh, available for public disclosure. In other words, we're going to hide everything. You know, forget about Mar-a-Lago. I mean, you know, this is, uh, why didn't Trump break this type of thing? Right? Why did he just do his own sunshine law? There was a lot of talk by Alex and other people. Oh, yeah, he's going to give us the truth on 9-11. Uh, he's going to give us the truth on uh, JFK. It's like, look, just, just give us the truth about what the FDA is doing. Can we just start with that? Oh, no, they bought him as he was coming into office. Very clearly, very clearly. And he bid the price up by having RFK Jr., and he was cynically manipulating that. He took the money, he put Alex's R in, and, uh, you know, uh, Bill Gates is bragging about that. Yeah, you know, how he got uh, Trump in line with it. They just bought him off. They just bought him off. So um, when you look at what's going on with Mar-a-Lago, I mean, everything the government does is a secret. Everything is overclassified. Here's another example of it. They're supposed to grab the information. We knew for years that they weren't doing it. There was a lawsuit before all this COVID stuff happened. Uh, that I covered extensively. It was uh, Bell Digtree. Digtree did it, and he took his uh, ICANN uh, organization, and they sued the FDA and uh, uh, over the VAERS database. You know, they said, look, uh, as in 1986, when you were given this legal immunity that Fauci pushed through for children's vaccines, you're supposed to uh, keep this database, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, you're supposed to keep that database and you're supposed to use that to improve the safety, you know, to monitor uh, what is happening with the vaccines and then to make recommendations for how they could be made uh, safer. So we'd like to see what you've done to monitor this and we'd like to see the recommendations that you've made over the past 35 years. And this was before all this stuff happened with COVID and everything. And they refused, of course, and then there was a lawsuit, and then the lawsuit said, you got to give them the information. They came up and they said, um, for 35 years, we haven't looked at any of it. They set up the VAERS database. They didn't bother to look at it. They didn't care. Never made a single recommendation to any of the vaccine manufacturers as to what they could do uh, to uh, make it safer, let alone require them. I mean, we're just talking about recommendations. They didn't even bother to look at it to make a recommendation, let alone uh, to uh, do their job to protect people. And so do you think that they're going to show any of this stuff? Of course they're not going to show it. Um, it has also, the FDA and the CDC have also, well, this is about the CDC, has twice provided false information when responding to questions of, under Freedom of Information Act. Uh, they initially said that they had not done uh, another type of analysis. I mean, they're talking about this is a, a Bayesian um, 
analysis, but there was another uh, type of analysis uh, the, um, uh, they called the PRR, PRR, Proportional Reporting Ratio. It's another kind of data mining to look at the database that they have there. And um, first they refused to do it. And uh, they were supposed to keep that data as well. Finally, when a judge says, no, you will produce this stuff, um, before they produced it, they started collecting it in March. And uh, March of 2021, and then uh, the uh, March, March of 2022, I should say. And then uh, did it for a couple months and then turned that over. They had not even been collecting it. Uh, that's the way these guys operate. Uh, interestingly enough, Bill Gates is now complaining that he's been the brunt of people's ire simply because outside the U.S., people don't know about Anthony Fauci. <laughs> so he's saying, this guy's a lot worse than I am. Uh, it's just that, uh, you know, outside of uh, the U.S., people don't know about Fauci. If they did, they'd be going after Fauci. And this is coming from Fortune magazine. First, they portray Bill Gates as a philanthropic saint. They said, since the outbreak of COVID-19, Bill Gates, through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, has spent over $2 billion to strengthen the global response in the pandemic by making vaccines available to lower-income countries. But in the minds of a small sector of the population, the Microsoft founder, along with Anthony Fauci, the chief medical advisor to the U.S. president, uh, did a lot more. They orchestrated the whole pandemic as a way of controlling the population and of uh, doing depopulation, I would add. So that's the way Fortune lays it out there. You know, this guy is really a charitable billionaire. He's a philanthropic saint. But he's gotten a bad rap. And where did this come from? Well, the theories, I said, were founded in the U.S. And they were... QAnon conspiracy theorists who did this. Oh, really? Uh, I have rejected everything that QAnon has done, uh, even when Alex was pushing it, uh, even when Alex said, we are QAnon. We had Alex and, and uh, Jerome Corsi. I said, no. <laughs> First of all, uh, you know, these people, they're doing everything anonymously. Give me a break. Uh, you can't check any of this stuff. And when they make predictions and, uh, well, they speak in quatrains like they're Nostradamus. And, and then when everybody who is supposed to be the anointed interpreters of these prophets make their pronunciation, like uh, pronouncements like uh, Drum Corsi did. And when it doesn't come true, they say, well, it's just we misunderstood it. It's like, come on, give me a break. Uh, but yeah, QAnon is, is absurd. It's a, uh, it's a trick. It's a trick. And so uh, Fortune is saying, uh, Fortune magazine is saying that it's QAnon conspiracy theorists that gave Gates a bad rap. He's, he's really just a, he's a saint giving billions of dollars of vaccines to save people all over the world. Uh, when the rumors spread to Europe, it was Gates who bore the brunt of the abuse due to his global status as a Microsoft founder. There you go. That's, that's it. That's how it happened. Um, are doctors getting their COVID boosters? Well, MedPage today asked a dozen doctors about their plans, and they, you could tell from the, the article that uh, they didn't, some of them didn't want it. They just said a few of them had other plans. They don't say how it broke down numerically. But they wouldn't be writing this article 
if you didn't have a lot of physicians who are saying, um, I'm not getting any more of this stuff. End of story. This is something that really surprised me. Coming from uh, New York Daily News, New York's uh, state of emergency is about to expire. And unlike Greg Abbott, Kathy Hochul, who is running for re-election, uh, is not going to re-up it. Wow, that's pretty surprising. New York's state of emergency is coming to an end. Hochul announced on Monday, uh, the governor said she will not extend the special pandemic powers that included a suspension of state contract rules and the easing of regulations related to hospitals and healthcare workers. The move comes amid falling case numbers. Uh, maybe it's falling poll numbers. Maybe that's what's falling. Uh, and criticism from Republicans who have accused Hochul of granting sweetheart deals to donors. Yeah, all these governors with all their Trump COVID cash uh, were, um, it was ripe with corruption everywhere, everywhere. We're starting to see it now, right? Talked about Lloyd's of London, how they've uncovered billions of dollars of this. We've seen with uh, the PPP stuff, the first obvious corruption was that uh, Steve Mnuchin, Trump's guy at uh, Treasury, <clears throat> said, um, well, this is, you know, they, they sold it <clears throat> as this is going to be for small businesses. <clears throat> and then they, they redefined small businesses just like Fauci and the others redefined vaccination and immunity and all the rest of this stuff. They redefined small business and they said, well, small business isn't one that has 500 employees or less. It's a small business, even if it's McDonald's, if they've got five, fewer than 500 employees at a particular location, which meant that you wound up having more than 50% of the PPP money going to less than 5% of the people. So it's always been about corruption. But uh, as I point out, Kathy Hochul has got a lot of other irons in the fire in terms of special emergency powers. So she's just letting go of some of the orders that are going to affect uh, some of this corruption. Uh, final article here on this as we're about out of time. Demand for the monkeypox vaccine has uh, stalled. And so now they're going to start targeting people in a hyper-local way. Hyper-local way. They're going to push the propaganda at a real retail level. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. As the, We don't have time for it. But as they are saying, so who is really profiting from all of this is a question that they ask. And uh, we know who's profiting from it, the same people we're just talking about. Uh, but the reality is, as they're pulling in the WHO as, uh, to make all this money, they go through a whole uh, uh, expose in this uh, Children's Health Defense Fund to see to follow the money. But we were told about this a couple of thousand years ago, right? Uh, the merchants, the great men of the earth, because by all of their pharmacia, the nations, all the nations were deceived. And guess what? They didn't repent of their murders, of their thefts, or their pharmacia. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing. 
and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com.